and Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Virtual House Church. Boy, this is going to be an exciting one today. Lots of stuff to talk about here. Uh, I will be joined by the other uh, co-hosts with me uh, probably at the top of the second hour. Uh, Jake texted me and said that he's leaving from Sukkot and heading to uh, back to his his place, I guess, and that he might be available at the top of the second hour. And I just spoke with Juan Carlos, and he said he will also join me in the second hour. And Kevin said he will not be able to join us because of uh, they're celebrating the, the, the last day of Sukkot. And I guess he's probably got something going on over at the place where he's doing Sukkot. So, yeah, lots going on. Uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed Sukkot. Uh, today is the last day, at least for those keeping the Kevin and Amanda Roberts calendar. Uh, the, the calendar that they put together is similar to what many people around the world are, are keeping. So uh, for many people today is the eighth great day, as they say, the, the last day of Sukkot. And uh, also, it is the day where we roll back the Torah scroll and start over again with Genesis. So uh, for those of you joining us here for the first time, you could go to the virtualhousechurch.com as our website. And uh, lots of stuff going on. As you can see, I got the new logo here that uh, one of our viewers submitted. We did the competition last week, and this was the one that we chose as the winner. And also this past week, I've been completely redoing this website. This website will stay up probably for the whole, or for the better part of the year, or at least until uh, Google Hangouts, uh, not Google Hangouts, uh, Google Sites um, possibly takes it down. This was built a long time ago. This was built like 2011, 2012. Uh, so it's a bit dated in terms of both its look as well as functionality. And uh, I had seen that uh, Google Sites may no longer support this anymore. So I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're going to leave it up or they're going to take it down or what. So um, I think it was last year or earlier this year, I had Sheila uh, copy a whole bunch of stuff off of this website to make sure we had it uh, in case it got uh, taken down. And so I've been uh, going through and also redoing everything on a, a WordPress foundation. So what will probably happen, uh, there's a lot here. Obviously, this is a very robust site. Uh, it's been added to uh, for a number of years since 2011-2012. Uh, so there's a lot to bring over. But um, right now, I'm just doing one at a time. As we do this week's study, I will be updating it to the new website. So if, you, uh, if, if you're familiar with virtualhousechurch.com, this is the old layout. Uh, it will eventually get phased out uh, and go to the new site, but it'll be the, sort of a transition for a while, I think, uh, where both will be up. And once the new site is completely updated with all of the content from this site, I will point this domain, Virtual House Church, to the other domain where I'm currently hosting the new sites. So you'll see this is added to the front page here. If you're viewing on mobile devices, you can click on that. Or if you're viewing this right now on a computer, as I am, you can click on this. And that takes you to the new site. So this is the, the new site that I'm working on right here. And uh, I'm going to try to widen this a bit. Uh, I, I've just been working with the existing template, but I, I'm going to try to make it a bit wider than it currently is. If you want it to be wider right now, you can hit Control on your keyboard and just hit the plus sign uh, until you, you know get it to the size that you want it. Uh, that's one way you can enlarge it if the text is too small for you to read. So uh, it's pretty much the same as the old website in terms of uh, the functionality uh, and how it works and stuff like that. So you have our homepage here and uh, there's something new. You can click on this button right here, which will take you to the, um, this is the show page. So each week, 
if you you're concerned about what uh, what portion we're doing, all you need to do is click on either the button I just showed you or the, right here it says this week's study, and that will pop, pop this page up right here. This is the video that we're doing right now, which will be archived once we're done. This page will change each week. It'll whatever we're doing for that week will be you know on on this particular page. So let's go back to the home page. Uh, so again, if you're viewing on a mobile device, you can click on this. I'll show you that in a minute. This particular template wasn't already set up to be responsive. That's what they call it, where a web page automatically updates depending on what you're viewing, whether you're viewing on a computer or a tablet or you know iPad or iPhone or you know something like that. Uh, a lot of the newer templates will automatically do that for you. This particular template, I like the look and feel of it, but it didn't do the auto. Um, responsiveness so of course nothing's ever easy so I had to create a whole another basically a whole another duplicate clone of this website that uh, is meant to sort of look have the same look and feel of this website but be responsive so um, a little bit of a headache but I think I've got a good workflow that makes it easy to continue uh, doing all this so you know same same stuff we had on the old uh, homepage here cool video that Chuck Missler did talking about the Torah the Torah codes and why it's important and all that uh, not under the law by Zach Bauer two commandments love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself uh, those two summarize the 10 which summarizes 613 you can learn more about the 613 by clicking on this right here um, and I was able with the new template to put Zach's videos uh, uh, destroying wretched arguments <laughs> uh, into a playlist here so you can just hit play and then it should auto advance to the next video in the series uh, all in this one player right here so that's kind of cool um, about us is just uh, about Sheila and I the virtual house church store is here again with the calendars you can click on the calendar for a free PDF if you want a printed copy click on those Juan Carlos's calendar same thing you can click on that for a free PDF Get the books through Amazon. Now that we're starting over again, might be a good time to do that. You could probably get them faster by clicking on, on the singular buttons here, uh, which take you to the Amazon page, and you can get them direct from Amazon. Or if you're willing to wait, you can get all five together uh, in a kit and save some money uh, and get them through us. I will say that it's been a lot harder for me to get my inventory than it used to. It's just, I don't know why, but it's taking quite a bit longer for me to get inventory. If you've ordered in the last week or so, you're on standby because I ran out last week. So um, I'm waiting for my inventory to get in. As soon as mine gets in, I will start sending your orders out. So please be patient. Uh, in the meantime, those who want to get uh, in the PDF, you can click on that and get the PDF versions of it and uh, then print off your own uh, versions of each week. Uh, and share them, distribute them amongst your friends and family or whatever, your home group. There's the Ephraim Awakening DVD-ROM. has all the stuff you have there, so that's what's available in the store. Our Statement of Faith, if you wonder what we're all about, you can click on that. The Coming Out of Babylon link right here, this is for newbies. Really, I created this specifically for people who are new to all this. What's this all about? This page is for you. There is just a ton of resources on here and it's all been updated so there's no blanks on here like there have been in the past uh, some stuff not available and even the um, uh, back to basics those weren't working in the old website because uh, the Google site stopped supporting the plugin for the audio player so now these are back up again these are at, this was actually the very first show I did when I started my radio show uh, the revolutionary radio project was initially started as a back to basics uh, platform to start talking about 
everything we're going to be doing here in the Virtual House Church. Uh, but this is going all the way back to November 30th, 2010, and this is where I had Kevin Roberts on and uh, sort of shared the beginning, the very beginning of both of our journey into all this right here. And then we had Pastor Michael Thigpen joined us here for Back to Basics 2, which was December 9th, 2010. So this is a flashback to the past right there if you're interested in seeing how we just got started. And, you know, I say, I think I say it even on the front page here, that, um, uh, let's see here. Well, maybe I didn't. Somewhere in here, I, I, I put that, hey, you know what? Uh, our views can change <laughs> over time. Um, let me see. Is that for use? Nope, that's not there. Uh, anyway, it's in here somewhere. <laughs> uh, but basically saying, hey, you know what? It, this is, you know, I'm not your pastor. Uh, you know, I'm another student just like you, so don't be surprised if from year to year as you're listening, our views may change on some things, and certainly did in the very beginning when we started this. We believe that the uh, the day started in the evening, for one thing. Now I believe the day begins at sunrise. We also reckon the month beginning from the conjunction moon, but further study revealed, no, it's the crescent moon. And, uh, and cosmology, same thing. If you go back to the 2012, 2013, portions, especially for the one we're doing here today, uh, Genesis, uh, had a very different cosmological worldview back then. So, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, it's an evolution of thought and understanding. And, you know, the more you study, the more you learn. And so you start to realize, hey, you know what? I was wrong about this. So uh, let's make it right. So, you know, this is very much a, a journey that we're bringing you along. You can follow us on our journey as you do your own journey. So, uh, again, don't be surprised if some, some, some of the things we talked about in previous years uh, changed in years later as we learned more. I moved the Torah Fellowship uh, plug-in to this page right here. And uh, it takes a few seconds to load here, so be patient if it uh, doesn't load right away. But that's if you're looking for somebody in your area that... Uh, maybe like-minded and understands the stuff that we're doing here. This is the Ephraim Awakening right here, folks. All these dots all around the world, this this is not a... Some people want to say it's a cult. No, a cult has a leader and usually has strange ideas and ha has its own kind of denomination. That's not what this is. This is just people all over the world waking up, realizing their Bible does not begin in Matthew. Galatians is not the only book in the Bible. Hey, we should still be doing this stuff, the Sabbath stuff, the feast, and all that kind of stuff. First John chapter 2 through 5. Yeah, that's these people. And so, if, you know, we're, we enjoy doing these virtual house churches right here. Uh, but if you're interested in having a real house church fellowship, joining one or, you know, maybe pairing up with some people who are doing something like that in your area, well, you just zoom in and let's say we'll pick somebody here. And uh, Nick, you can contact Nick <laughs> right there. That's how that works. So that's the fellowship finder. Maybe you can hook up with some people in your area uh, using this valuable tool right here. Of course, we have to deal with Paul. What about Paul? What about the stuff that Paul wrote? A bunch of links for you to check out here. Uh, foolish Galatians, that's what we get called. Oh, Foolish Galatians, right? Well, this deals with that and also uh, the book of Galatians. There's um, a video gallery down here, so you can watch that video or click on this one and watch the next one. So, you know, just kind of go through these and it'll, it'll all play right here. So that's the uh, another cool plug-in that I have here. It's a video gallery plug-in. It's going to make my life a lot easier. And, um, again, this is the Hebrew calendars. If you just want to go to the calendars page, you'll also notice some things populate uh, when you go to these last few uh, 
links right here in the main menu we get a sidebar here so you can search the website for different topics this is a really cool video uh, uh, audio right here uh, Yahuwah's Love Letter if you've never heard it I'm not going to play it right here right now just for the sake of time but uh, recommend that the Psalm 91 reading you can click on that right there for the audio version of it uh, Bible study tools that, that I use Blue Letter Bible Bible Gateway Bible.cc Bible.is these are all valuable online tools that I use on a regular basis so that's now available for you guys to check out here um, also the Aramaic English New Testament Bible you can check that out and uh, the Torah studies, you can click on these, and this will have the book of Genesis. You can get the workbooks in King James as well as, or and or, the World English Bible if you uh, struggle with all the these and thous and the duetha and all that kind of stuff. Well, the World, World English Bible is a much easier to read translation. It's also available uh, copyright free, so I was able to reproduce it in, in print. I modified it, though, um, Everywhere it said Jesus Christ, I modified it to Yeshua the Messiah, and wherever it says in, for the New Testament portions, and wherever it said um, Yahweh uh, in the Old Testament, I just switched it out for the Tetragrammaton because I know some people get wrapped around the axle about, well, it's not really Yahweh, it's Jehovah, it's not really Jehovah, it's Yehovah, it's not really Yehovah, it's Yahuwah. You know, there's some, somebody wants to fight about something all the time, so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to put the letters there, you can pronounce it however you want. So everywhere it said Yahweh, I replaced it with the Tetragrammaton, yod heh vav -Hey. So it's a uh, modified, you might consider it a virtual house church, modified world English Bible uh, for Genesis, I have Genesis and Exodus done. I'm really going to try. Uh, boy, like I don't have enough to do. I'm going to try to get the rest of them done this year. Right now, it's just Genesis and Exodus that I have done. Um, I should try to get Leviticus started probably so I can get it done before we get to Leviticus. Um, but anyway, that's available there. And then when you click on these, it'll take you to the um, the each Bible study. Now, right now, only Genesis 1 goes to the new one that we're doing today. Genesis 2 and following, right now, go back to the old website. Uh, Genesis 1 will take us to our current one, which you can also get to, again, through the uh, this week's study page. You go here, this will be this, and if you want additional notes, it's also there. So several ways to get there. Um, so we'll click on that, and that takes us to our study page for today. And um, I'll just show you this here. Um, same thing if you want to look at this on a mobile device this takes you to the mobile device version of it now what's cool about this is it's resizable so like you can like this is what it would look like on a uh, like a cell phone or something so you can look at all that right there and then when you get to the bottom of the page you hit the little arrow button and whoop, it goes back all the way up by itself so you don't have to do the scrolling with your fingers kind of cool um, Genesis study, Exodus study, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Ephraim Awakening takes you to the Ephraim Awakening website. So uh, lots of cool functionality there. And uh, all right, so that should get you guys oriented, I think. You can play around with it. Uh, oops, I think it's a little too big on the screen for you guys. Why is that? Mm, let me try something here. Uh, that's blown up, blown up. Ah, there we go. Switch it here. There, so you can see it that way. Um, yeah. So, um, and and when it's in, like, the phone mode, the menu's up at the top here. And so you click on this little square at the top, and it slides out the menu right here, and you can go through, uh, you know, the same thing. Uh, all the same content is there. 
So again, this is this week's study on a cell phone and takes you to the study page. So uh, these are the scripture readings for today's study. Hopefully you guys at least read through all that. And uh, a summary of this week's Torah portion is always going to be right here in the Parsha in 60 Seconds tab. So let's um, go ahead and play that. This will summarize the study for Shalom today. Shalom welcome to Parsha in 60 Seconds. Today's portion is from Genesis 1-1 through 6-8. It is called Bereshit, which means in the beginning. In the beginning, God created everything in six days. God separated light from darkness, separated the water, creating sky, divided land and sea, causing vegetation to sprout from the land, set up sun, moon, and stars, created aquatic creatures, created land creatures, and made man in God's image, male and female, putting man in charge, blessing him, and declaring all creation very good. Then God... Oh, it still does that. Same thing. Then the old old website too. God rested. God created man, named him Adam. Created the Garden of Eden, included the tree of knowledge of good and evil, warning that if eaten from, death would occur. It was not good for man to be alone. And one rib later, Eve was created. Satan, in the form of a serpent, tricked Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. She gave some to Adam. God cursed Eve with childbearing pains and Adam with manual labor. God made some designer animal skin clothes and then kicked them out of Eden. Cain and Abel were born. They brought offerings to God. God accepted Abel's lamb, but not Cain's fruit. Cain pwned Abel out of jealousy. God cursed and exiled Cain. Five generations later, Lamech, spawn of Cain, became the first polygamist and murdered a young man just because he gave him a bruise. Sons of God started getting frisky with the human females, and they gave birth to superhumans called Nephilim. Several generations later, the world is full of wickedness. God expressed an intention to destroy all life from the earth, but Noah found God's favor. And that is Bereshit in 60 seconds. Oh, very cool. I didn't realize that these uh, this ministry right here actually understands the sons of God to be angelic beings. Pretty cool. Definitely uh, one of those controversial topics, of course. But uh, we'll be talking about that today, certainly, and um, probably in the next uh, broadcast as well. So you can listen to the 2012 now. The audio player works for that. 2013 broadcast right there. 2016, this is the broadcast we're doing right now. Here's a study done by another ministry that I put in here. Of course, Ardell's Your Living Waters commentary. Always recommend you check out Ardell's commentary. She does some amazing work there. So these are good resources you can click on to view and or download. Um, this is I gave you an example of the three questions. Uh, the same three questions are on every study page for each weekly study. Uh, how does this week's Torah portion relate to the half Torah, which is the prophets and the Brit Hadashah, Brit Hadashah portions, Brit Hadashah, that's the New Testament. So how do they all relate? That's the first question. What did you find most interesting about this week's study? Second question, third question, what is the general theme of this reading and how does it apply to our lives today? Same questions every week, and I just, by way of an example for the first week, I gave you my answers. So this is how I answered them in my own workbook, uh, so it could give you an idea of, you know, how you might want to answer them as well. Just a suggestion anyway. Um, more details about this week's uh, study from Genesis can be found in these four chapters from the book of Joshua. Back on the old website, I had it all listed there, all the scriptures on the page, but that was just too much to keep doing every week, so I just linked to the online source that I was getting it from anyway. So you can click on chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 from, I think it's uh, sacredtext.com to read those chapters from Joshua. This week, we talk about biblical cosmology. Biblical cosmology. Let me enlarge this for you guys that are watching right there. That's easier to read. Biblical cosmology. Why is this topic important? Well, here is just one recent comment, like like an hour and a half ago, that was, com that was posted to a video that I just posted to my YouTube channel dealing with biblical cosmology. This is a recent uh, comment, like like I said, about an hour, hour and a half ago, this person said, I'm 26 years old and I was a militant atheist for 11 years. Well-educated one. 
This year, I've discovered that the earth is flat, and therefore there must be a God. A month ago, I've named Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Your work is insanely important. Watching all the videos, thank you. This is one of thousands of such testimonials, okay? This is, I put this page together like within the first couple of months just getting started on the topic, okay? I mean, I didn't bother to keep up with it because it would be just too much of it. But, you know, just within the first couple of months of, of getting into the research and the stuff that I had posted online on this Testing the Globe website, these are all the testimonials that came in, you know, that I harvested like in one month, Okay. Many of them atheists, former atheists, agnostics, people who had uh, backslidden in their faith, decided to get back into it because of all this, and now have a much stronger relationship and understanding, uh, relationship with the Creator and understanding of the Scriptures. Okay, I dare you to read through all these Scriptures, uh, not, excuse, excuse me, testimonies. I dare you to read through all these testimonies and again tell me this is not an important topic. Okay, this is an extremely important topic, and this is the fruit of it. People say, you know, will be known by their fruits. That, well, this is the fruit basket, folks, you know. And I'll play this right here. Some people consider what we're talking about here to be theological junk food. So here's a video from a conference that I did addressing that issue. Uh, I'm going to be talking about what some may consider to be theological junk food. <laughs> Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about there. Yes, there is a ministry that many of us know and appreciate and respect, and I'm one of them. I very much appreciate, love, and respect them and send people to them all the time. Uh, but they did put out a video not too long ago called Theological Junk Food. And I'm going to call that into question because I'm, I'm thinking it's not so much theological junk food, but it very well could be a roadmap to help us understand the times that we're headed into. <laughs> Two people, thank you. Thank you very much, thank you. Uh, they put up slides like this, uh, theological clickbait, uh, shocking, you know, the, the shape of the earth, uh, amazing new discovery with a giant skeleton there, the Vatican and the names of God. Now, of course, none of those are my thumbnails, but if you've been following my work, you know I've talked about pretty much all that stuff right there. Then they put up a list. The shape of the earth, the pronunciation of the tetragrammaton, nuances of the biblical calendar, the Illuminati, aliens, etc. Hmm, I wonder who they're talking about. Well, um, there are several things that I'm most criticized for. Among them, the four most criticized are the issue of the shape of the earth, the Nephilim, the topic of Genesis 6, Nimrod, Babel, mythology, and the Antichrist, and conspiracies uh, in involving those things, uh, and what I refer to as the Ephraim Awakening. Does everybody know what I'm talking about when I say the Ephraim Awakening? Do I need to explain that? Does anybody not know? Okay, a few people. Uh, I'll summarize it like this. The, you're familiar with the prodigal son story? Well, if you read the story, right, there comes a point where the prodigal son wakes up in the pig pen and he looks around and he's like, what have I gotten myself into? What have I done? And he thinks to himself, I wonder if dad will take me back. And when I read that story, as I was starting to come into what we now uh, consider uh, walking in Torah, I imagined taking a snapshot of that moment when the prodigal son sat there, looked around at his surroundings and said, I wonder if dad will take me back. That moment, the Ephraim awakening, that's what that story is about, the northern kingdom, right? So that's why I call it the Ephraim awakening. Um, and there's a lot more to that teaching. I've got stuff on that online. You can check out uh, lengthy teachings on that. Um, all of these topics can be found in the book of Genesis. 
The top three are found within the first 12 chapters of Genesis, and they form the very foundation for the entire narrative of Scripture. So if we have a faulty foundation, the whole thing falls apart, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, uh, Psalms 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, if I may ask this question, how many of you would say you've either found a deeper understanding of the Scriptures or a closer relationship with Yahuwah, or both, as a result of any of those topics up there? Would you please stand? If you don't mind. <laughs> I'm actually going to take a picture of this for myself. Uh, well, actually, I'll do a video here. I'm going to do a little video here to remind me. Thank you. I often need to remind myself why I do this. Steve asked me how I'm doing in the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready, I guess. <laughs> what are you talking about? Ah, the usual. Uh, <laughs> because that's the way I'm feeling. You know, I, I, I'm just being honest with you. Uh, there have been many, 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 many times where I just wanted to throw the towel and say I'm done. Forget it. I am not comparing myself to Jeremiah here, but I understand the weeping prophet. <laughs> he had a message nobody wanted to hear. You know? Uh, and then I'd go to the post office thinking, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm throwing a towel, and there'd be some dude there who would see me and say, you can't quit. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't quit. And he would share some testimony, like this gentleman did a few minutes ago. Shared a testimony. I heard many testimonies last night, and I, I, the words thank you are just, they're inadequate to express what I'm truly feeling. Um, so I'm going to treasure that video I just shot a minute ago, because... Call me crazy, but theological junk food does not create that kind of fruit. It doesn't. You know, John talked about fishermen. We're supposed to be fishers of men, right? And fishermen use different types of bait depending on what type of fish they're going after. So apparently this is some pretty good bait because it's bringing in a whole lot of fish. Um, so I will continue to do what I'm doing so long as the fish are coming in. Thank you. All right, and indeed, uh, this was several years ago, uh, this conference right here. I'm still doing it. <laughs> as much as I try not to do it and want to move on to other things, I'm still doing it. And here we are. This is the beginning of the Torah cycle. You know, people you know, want to say it's a psyop. Like, look, I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, you know. And um, here's a whole bunch of resources for you. If you want to know more about biblical cosmology and why I've embraced it, please take the time to watch the following. This page alone could keep you busy for quite some time here. There's a whole lot of videos that I've done on biblical cosmology, and there's way more. I just didn't put it all here on this website, but those are some, you know, kind of the primary ones that you can at least get started on it. Um, of course, you could go to Test and Globe, check out the links that I have here about the scriptures regarding biblical cosmology. Past notes from this week's study can be found here. These are um, stuff talking about the Nephilim and uh, other topics that we have brought up uh, in previous dialogue from this week's study. Now, I think in the uh, interest of time here, I'm going to... Um, I just uploaded a video, actually, right before coming on the air here, from the Sacred Word Revealed conference that I just did in Atlanta. 
and I, the first presentation was an hour long. So since we're going to be waiting for the other guys to join us, uh, well, no, it's a half hour away, but uh, we may go a little long today if that's okay. Um, I'm going to display this right here. This was uh, the importance of biblical cosmology, but focused specifically on the firmament because that's the real issue right here. If there's a firmament, then I'm sorry, guys, that everything you've been taught about the cosmology of this world and this universe is wrong. It just is. Either the firmament is real or it's not. And if it's not real, then there's no point in going any further in the scriptures. If the, if the foundation is faulty, what hope do the righteous have? If we can't get the front of the book right, why should I care about what's in the back of the book? By the way, Yeshua endorsed Moses, who hung out with Yahuwah face-to-face as one speaks with a friend. So if the creator can't get his, his own creation right, then what's the point in reading any further? The whole book is nonsense. And that's why many people become atheists, because uh, this is a sad commentary on Christianity, but I have found that most atheists know their Bible far better than most Christians that I know. And they just got tripped up on stuff. Incidentally, stuff that's right in this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion talks about the cosmology. And when, of course, we all have been taught the spinning heliocentric ball floating in an ever-expanding you know, cosmos of the vacuum of space, right? Well, they're being intellectually honest with the text. If you read through this Genesis creation account, it doesn't fit what... You know, Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Isaac Newton, for that matter, Copernicus. It doesn't talk about what it, it doesn't uh, agree with what those guys teach. And so many people say, well, then this is all gobbledygook. This is gibberish. This is written by ignorant people who believe the earth was flat, right? So they toss their Bible aside, become agnostics and atheists. Um, and, and that's why Ken Hoven, he'll tell you this. He'll give you the statistics. You know, somebody could be raised in the church, you know, their whole life, growing up with their parents, going to church, raised in the Bible, you know, maybe get saved, become a Christian at a young age, and then they go off to high school and college in the secular system, and they throw it all off. Because immediately in the secular system, they start teaching you stuff like evolution that goes against the creation account. And, you know, the Copernican model of the universe, which goes against the creation account. And so the secular system, right off the bat, makes it a point of, pushing evolution, and that starts with the Big Bang. The Big Bang cosmology is, is what makes evolution even remotely plausible. They start teaching you that at a very young age, and then these people who grew up with a biblical foundation throw it all off and become atheists and agnostics. And Ken Hovind will give the statistics on that. That's why he has based his entire ministry on combating the lies of evolution. And he's got all these videos that he's done lies in the textbook, lies in the textbooks, lies in the textbooks. And I love him for what he's done to destroy evolution from biology and um, uh, geology. Uh, you know, he'll talk about the lies about the geologic column and stuff like that and how that's all fraudulent and, and evolution, you know, missing links and all that stuff is all fraudulent. And he's done a great job in that. So why, I can't for the life of me understand why he recognizes the lies in the cosmology the lies in the textbooks as it relates to biology and archaeology and geology and picanology, all except for cosmology. He's giving them a pass on cosmology. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that with other creation ministries either. They're all the same. You know, they'll do a great job of combating the lies in the textbook with all the other, everything else except for cosmology. And, you know, they've written a lot of stuff against me because I'm taking the Bible for what it says on all of it. Cosmology, biology, you name it. Picanology. I'm going to go with the, what the Bible says. You know, because the other is the wisdom of man. This is the wisdom of God. You know, and, and 
Yahuwah says that the wisdom of man is foolishness to him. You know, science is falsifiable. That's what they're saying. True science has to be falsifiable, which I think is an interesting thing to say because how can you falsify truth? That's an oxymoron. Truth is not falsifiable. But they'll say, you know, real science has to be falsifiable. Well, truth is not falsifiable. That's an oxymoron. You can't falsify truth. And Scripture says that my word is true. You know who says that? It's his word. His word is true. So while science may be falsifiable, the word of God is not. It's truth. Period. So, yeah, finally, I just had to take a stand and say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to have to believe it. <laughs> so I did. And that's what we're talking about here. Uh, so the firmament's the big deal. It, it, it seals the deal in more ways than one for me. Uh, we can get into a lot of other details, uh, and I've done that in many of the other videos. But uh, in this video, I deal specifically with the firmament and why the issue of biblical cosmology is important. So this was from the Sacred World Revealed 2020 conference that was held in Atlanta just a few weeks ago. I think I did this uh, September 12th. 2020 so we'll play that all right welcome everybody again for the final presentation of the night this is a man who needs no introduction by me he's a videographer a writer he does everything I think that the most high has called him to do and that's an amazing feat in itself so without further ado this is Rob Skiba thank you All right, thank you guys. Enjoying the conference so far? Yeah. How many of you are hearing a lot of this information for the first time? Anybody? A few people? Yeah? All right, good. Kind of a fire hose deal, huh? <laughs> Open wide, here we go. I'm about to turn it on full blast for you. Uh, well, um, maybe I should add. How many of you are not familiar with my work? Okay, a few people. Good. All right, good. Uh, for others, like I said in the Q&A, you know, th this is going to be a rerun. You've seen this material before if you've seen some of my other conferences or YouTube videos and stuff like that. And as much as I try to stop presenting this stuff, I just feel like I can't. You know, I, I don't in any way want to compare myself to the prophet Jeremiah, but I understand the weeping prophet. <laughs> like, I'm done. I don't want to say it anymore. And yeah, here I am again. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just... I feel like this is something that I've been led and called to talk about, so I'm going to. So for those of you who have seen it before, I just ask you to indulge me a little bit here. Uh, maybe the, the rerun will be good for you to pick up a few things maybe you didn't remember from last time. But I really do this for people, like I said before, who are, have never heard any of this before. So it's the first time. Um, I've titled my lecture, The Genesis Revelation, How Yahuwah Has Declared or Revealed the End from the Beginning. We get that from Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. We also see that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, them being the people in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. How many of you think that we may be getting towards that end of the world thing? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Paul thought that too. And uh, there's a position known as preterism or amillennialism. Some of you may have heard of that, that a lot of this stuff, prophetic stuff, is supposedly all was all fulfilled, like the book of Revelation was all fulfilled by 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. And 
to me, that just sounds completely ridiculous because I grew up in the futurist camp. And, but like so many other things in my life, I've learned to say, you know what, maybe I should take a little bit of time to listen to the other side instead of just writing it all off. And so I have recently been spending a lot of time actually looking into the preterist view, looking into this whole idea that prophecy has already been fulfilled in, in the scriptures. I'm still very much in the futurist camp, I'll tell you that. But I've come to believe the book, the book of Revelation was probably written in such a way that literally every generation since it was penned could look at the signs of the times and think that they were in that generation. Certainly the people who lived during the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and Jerusalem being trash and everything, they were looking at the things that, I mean, the book that John wrote to the seven churches had to have been applicable to those who heard it at the time. It was, meant, it was written to seven churches. They were to read aloud. And the people who read it, it had, they had to have gotten something out of it. It had to be applicable to them. So I have to believe that the people, when they were listening to that, they're thinking to themselves, well, they're looking at the signs of the times, the descriptions of the Antichrist, the beast, and stuff like that, and they're saying, well, yeah, Nero seems to fit that, or Domitian, if you believe it's a later, revela- uh, later writing of Revelation. Whatever the case may be, they were looking at the symbols and the language used in the book of Revelation, and they were looking at the signs of their time and saying, well, this seems to fit. And I, I just happen to believe that the way it's written probably everybody since the first century could be saying that because how many of you know your parents or grandparents believed that they were in the last days too? And you got to know people who were living at the time of, let's say, World War I or World War II, they had to have been looking around and saying, man, this has got to be it, right? And it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. So, I, you know, I'm in the generation, like many of you here, saying, that's got to be it. I mean, look around. But who knows, you know? I, when Jesus said it has the last days would be like the days of Noah, I don't think any of us really truly understand how bad the days of Noah actually were. That God had to, he got, Yahuwah got so mad that he had to literally wipe out the entire world, actually as an act of love, to save what was left of his good creation. So uh, we are in the time, in like no other time in history that I'm aware of since the time of Noah, where we're seeing things taking place that were very much like the days of Noah, specifically things like genetic engineering and things of that nature. I'm not going to talk about that in this lecture, though. <laughs> That's a whole other lecture, lecture series. But um, there are four things that I'm probably most criticized for. And there's a lot of things I'm criticized for, but uh, certainly that one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That one gets me in a lot of trouble. Uh, I thought this one was bad. Uh, it wasn't that bad compared to the first one. Uh, Flat Earth, the Nephilim, Nimrod, Babel, mythology, and the Antichrist. Uh, you know, for those of you who follow my research, you know I have a different take than some of the other speakers here on who the Antichrist is. By the way, Nimrod Ben Cush does add up to 666, just so you know. <laughs> uh, I was about to go, hey, yeah, wait a minute, brother. But you know what? That's all right. You know, everybody, all of us are just doing the best we can. You know, we're praying for discernment, we're reading. That's why I enjoy doing conferences like this, even if we're in disagreement. We have to be, we have to be in agreement on the core essentials. What are the core essentials? Yeshua is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Salvation is a free gift by grace through faith, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. We got to get those right, because eternity is a long time to be wrong, right? So these are the things we got to get right. All the other stuff, in my opinion, it's okay to disagree, you know? Let's be iron, sharpening iron and all that stuff and study these things out. But these three, you know, certainly have got me in quite a bit of trouble. And the fourth one, the Ephraim Awakening, has gotten me in trouble too. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let's see. How many of you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the Ephraim Awakening? Okay, a few people. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son, right? You know, you're familiar with the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal son is 
is an allegory for the northern kingdom that was divorced. And got to a place where he was literally in a pig pen. I mean, an Israelite in a pig pen. That's, that's bad. That's bad, right? And he's sitting there, and he finally, after he squandered his inheritance and everything, he, he looks around at where he is, and he says, man, I wonder, I wonder if Dad will take me back. I really screwed up. And if you could take a photograph of that moment, that's what I call the Ephraim awakening. That's where Ephraim woke up in the pig pen and said, wow, have I messed up? I wonder if Dad will take me back. And he made a trek back to his father. And what does his dad do? He welcomes with loving arms, right? I believe that that's what's happening right now. Really going back to, there, there were people before this, but really an explosion took place around 2009, 2010 of people independent of any leader, any church, any denomination or anything, just people all over the world waking up and saying, huh, my Bible doesn't begin in Matthew. Check it out. <laughs> wow, Galatians is not the only book in my Bible. <laughs> that's, that's wild. Look at this Genesis thing. Let me check this out. Wow. Hey, Sabbath, maybe I should still be doing that. You know, how many of you can relate to that experience? Nobody told you anything. You're just like, oh, yeah, see? And it really, in my research, anyway, goes back to 2009. Something, an explosion happened. And I don't have time to talk about it here in this presentation. But there's a math, math problem that works out from the time of the exile, the northern kingdom. They didn't repent. So they got seven times of judgment, 2,730 years. 2,730 years from the time of the judgment takes you, coincidentally, to 2009. That's when I believe that curse ended and the veil was lifted and people just started waking up. Uh, so, of course, you know, my dispensational good Baptist friends and everybody else that I grew up with, you know, think I'm crazy. I'm a heretic for any one of those four. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, all four of those can be found in the book of Genesis. The top three are found within the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And even part four, there, Ephraim Awakening, starts with Abraham, you know. And you get to Genesis 48 with the, the prophecy over Ephraim. Uh, but really, all this stuff dates back to Genesis. And I say, look, you know, it forms the very foundation for the entire narrative of Scripture. And if we have a faulty foundation, then the whole thing falls apart. It's like I said earlier at the, uh, the Q&A with Zen. You know, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If we can't get the front of the book right, why, why should I care about what the back of the book says? Well, I think the front of the book is right. <laughs> and you know what? Yeshua endorsed it. So if Yeshua and everybody else endorsed it, then maybe we should pay attention to it. And I'm going to address the issue in this presentation of the importance of biblical cosmology. Now, growing up, the things that influenced me most in my life, of course, my parents. I grew up in a godly Christian family. My dad was a Baptist minister when I was a kid. Uh, grew up in the church. Uh, my sister, I don't have my sister depicted there, but, uh, you know, it was just my sister and I and my parents. Uh, they raised us with the Bible. As soon as we were old enough to read, we were reading it. And every time the doors of the church were open, we were there. We were Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, all that kind of stuff. If the doors were open, we were there. Um, I accepted Christ as my Savior at age seven on the third verse of Just As I Am. You guys remember that back in the day when they used to do hymns? Some of this is before some of your time, but to the old timers and people of my age, you know, that remember the hymn book, they always did the first, second, and fourth verse of Just As I Am, and I knew that. And my heart was going, because I was back in the day when you used to have to walk the aisle, right, and go forward. And I was afraid. I was so scared. I didn't want to do it. And I'm making deals with God. I'm like, yeah, I'll go if they do the third verse. I'll go if they do the third verse, because I knew they never did the third verse. And then the, the, the song director said, you know what? We never do the third verse. Let's do the third verse. I'm like, do! I was doing do long before Homer Simpson. Uh, so I can honestly say I went forward on the third verse of just as I am. 
Uh, of course, all of that had a profound influence on my life growing up, and I accepted Christ at age seven, and also around the same time, I saw Star Wars at age seven, and uh, Jim Irwin uh, came to our church and uh, signed a picture of him, allegedly, on the moon, saying, uh, you know, it addressed it to me, you know, aim for your dreams, Rob, reach, you know, aim, reach for your dreams, Rob, aim high. Uh, so I was like hardcore science fiction fan, NASA fanboy, all of that. So let me tell you, there was no incentive whatsoever for me to get into the topic I'm going to be talking to you about tonight. None. And no one's paying me to do this, okay? There was no, nothing in me that wanted to accept what I'm going to be talking about here, except the Word of God. That was instilled in me. And we see things like in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture, all of it, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So when I see words like all Scripture, that says to me none of it's off limits. We should be able to talk about all of it. You know, I have Christians all the time saying, you shouldn't be talking about what I'm going to be talking about here tonight. I'm like, what about that? It says all. You know, this is part of all, in my opinion. We also see that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. I submit to you that a whole lot of people have erred in their faith concerning this, NASA, which I consider to be science falsely so-called. Don't have time to get into all that here in this presentation, but when I started finally studying and looking into and researching NASA and looking at through countless photographs and messing with them in Photoshop, I don't think they counted on Photoshop in 1969 through 72. And by the way, they created Photoshop the same time they created Hubble, <laughs> FYI. Uh, yeah, that's no coincidence. And, you know, it wasn't until actually this moment right now, looking at this screen, that I realized that the top and bottom rows, the top and bottom rows there, they totally contradict each other. Completely. Yet these were things that I would say up until this point, these were the two biggest things that influenced my life. My parents, the church, God, and the Bible, and science fiction, and, you know, NASA and all that stuff. Totally incompatible. You know, we've all been guilty to one degree or another of reading things into the text. Somebody gives us a pair of glasses based on the teachings that we've listened to. And so we, we assimilate all of this information somebody programmed us to believe, and then we go to the Bible and we read it through those glasses, and we're seeing things that aren't there. It's kind of like, you ever sing along to a song and you're just singing out loud and you've got the lyrics completely wrong? You know, and then one day you finally read the lyrics, and you're like, oh, man, I really had that one messed up. <laughs> there was a comedian that actually did a really good skit on that. I'm going to play that for you here. When you're singing on a karaoke, you haven't got a clue that those were words. You know that song, We Are Family? For years, I thought they were singing, Just Let Me Staple the Vicar. Right? <laughs> who's right and who's wrong here? Listen. All of the people around us, they say. Just let me staple the vicar. What's all that about? Just let me staple the vicar. 
Apparently, according to Michael, your burgers are the best. I can Have one of them burger vans. You know they have that fun and doing steak Canadians and hot dogs. <laughs> Speaking of hot dogs. You are. I believe the hot dogs go on. got a bit of rivalry here, Michael. <laughs> Celine's peddling hot dogs. Celine's peddling hot dogs. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, I, I played that because it is funny, but that's exactly what we're doing with the Bible many times. We're doing exactly that. And especially creation ministries, I'm going to come out against them because these are people who actually taught me to take the Bible literally. And then I could trust it as my source for truth. Now, they're regularly putting out videos and blogs and writing entire essays and books against me. Like, I don't, it's like, I don't believe in the Mandela effect, but if there was anything that would make me believe there wasn't a Mandela effect, it would be that. Because how many of you remember being raised, take the Bible literally? No, no, it's figurative, allegorical. Figures of speech and poetry. I'm like, what, what happened? These ministries do a fantastic job, in my opinion, of destroying evolution when it comes to things like biology and geology. But I can't for the life of me understand why they're giving a pass to cosmology. And without the cosmology that is set up with the Copernican principle and all that, all the rest of it's not even remotely plausible. So you would think that they would go back to look at cosmology, especially since the Bible starts there. Other than that, I would say it's a fantastic documentary this one here uh, is genesis history history here's a clip from that documentary you're talking about the origin of literally everything and i think if we zoom out from that and say well what really is the difference between these two paradigms it isn't a question of science on the one hand versus religion on the other because both of them are scientific in the sense of looking at a common body of data Really, at the deepest level, the difference is two competing views of history. What is the true history of our cosmos? That does seem to be the real question. What is our true history? What actually happened? The conflict is not between two views of science, but between two competing views of history. Since Genesis was written in Hebrew, I wanted to talk to a Hebrew expert. What was actually in the original text? The first word in Genesis is Breshit. Breshit, Genesis 1 1 is Breshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim ve'aretz. So this is the beginning of the Toledot of, uh, of Noah. Interesting that that word Toledot is a very interesting word. It's translated sometimes genealogy, sometimes it's translated history. And what follows then is the account of the flood. Mm -hmm. Steve, it seems that there is a lot of history in the Bible. Is that how you see it? Is oh, absolutely. In fact, the first thing is that it's an accurate historical account. Mm -hmm. the, the presentation is such, uh, and the perspective of the writers, that they believe they were 
talking about real events. Okay. It's, in, very, it's very obvious that because of the way in which uh, they in, insist that the next generation learn, you know, learn their mm -hmm. history. When you look at these early chapters in Genesis, what do you see? Can you take us through this? It starts with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's, there's no word in Hebrew for universe. That means he created everything. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing we find in Genesis 1-2, we find a water ball that is in space. Mm -hmm. God, in the subsequent days, is going to fill that universe. Okay. Let me staple the vicar. <laughs> okay, first of all, you have a recognized Hebrew expert here, right? And he tells you that Genesis is not allegorical, it's not poetry, it is historical science. It is written as history. It's historical fact, he said. Did any of you guys see in Genesis 1 anything about a floating water ball in space? Just to make sure, let's go through it a little bit here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Anybody see a water ball floating in space there? No, so you see what people are doing. You're starting with a preconceived bias, and you're reading that into the text. And even Hebrew experts are not immune from that. We all do it. And I struggled, I gotta tell you, for over a year, I struggled. I saw within probably a week of first being introduced to the topic, and like everybody else, I didn't want to even touch the topic. This is stupid. This is ridiculous. This has been settled 500 years ago, for crying out loud, right? Why are we talking about this in the 21st century? This is stupid. He that answers a matter before he hears it is what? Folly is foolish to him, right? Condemnation before investigation is the height of ignorance, right? Things of that nature. So finally, I said, you know what? I'll, I'll find. I'll go ahead and look at it. And I prayed because of other topics that I've dealt with in other research. I've realized that myself and everybody, we all bring preconceived bias to the text. So I made the mistake. <laughs> Actually, it was the right thing to do. But I prayed. And I would challenge any of you here, who, who, if you're not yet on this page, to pray the same prayer. Father, if I am bringing preconceived bias to the text, remove it from me. Let your Holy Spirit show me what is written there. If you pray that, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> you get like a few verses down. Well, you'll see when you're going to get hit in a minute here <laughs> with the big one. Uh, well, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, let there be light. Okay, no problem. Cool, light. That's good. God saw the light. It was good. God divided light from darkness. God called the light day and darkness. He called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. Whew, got through that one. That's, that's good. Uh-oh. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Big problems on day two. Oh, this is a psyop. Rob Skiba, he's, he's passing around a site. Look, it didn't, if it didn't begin with me, didn't begin with Mark Sargent, Eric DeBay, Jaron Campanella, Mark, any of those guys, if you know who those people are, didn't begin with the CIA. It began with Moses. <laughs> if this is a PSYOP, it began with Moses. Oh, I'll take it a step further. Who was Moses talking to on the mountain? Big problem. Yeah. He writes about this thing called the firmament. Notice I underlined the words, and I was stressing when I read it, a, it, and the. Because there's only one. There's one firmament. 
And when I was in the other paradigm, I believed very much the same way uh, Kent Hovind, uh, Dr. Kent Hovind, uh, Dr. Carl Baugh, others taught of the canopy theory. Are you guys familiar with the canopy theory? They recognized that that's a hard structure. But they said the earth, the globe, was covered with a hard canopy of ice. And that perhaps a comet or something broke through that and hit the earth and it broke up the fountains of the deep and then it took 40 days and 40 nights for the rest of the canopy to disintegrate and rain down on the earth. I used to believe and teach that myself. Used to teach it myself. So they recognize it's a hard, firm structure. How do they understand that? Well, if you look into these words, firmament, well, first of all, firm, right, <laughs> in English, comes from the Latin firmamentum, comes from the Hebrew, Strong's number uh, 7549 is the Hebrew word rakia, extended surface, solid, expanse as if beaten out, uh, considered by the Hebrews as uh, solid and supporting waters above it. You see other, that was from BibleHub.com. This is from Blue Letter Bible. Same thing, you extended solid surface, uh, expanse, beaten out. And when it's talking about so a solid surface that's beaten out, it's, it, ha it comes from a root word, raka, where you can like pound out metal and to flatten it out for making plates of metal and, and making something like the laver in the, in the tabernacle and stuff like that. So there are people now who want to say that that word just means expanse. They like that expanse. It just means air, gas, and the vacuum of space. And I'm going, how do you beat out air? This is a hard structure. This is being beaten out. How do you beat out air? You can't. Why is it a hard structure? We see that the Hebrew word itself means that it's a hard, firm structure. It's supporting the waters above and stuff like that. Well, we even have internal witnesses. So if you don't want to accept the definition of the word itself, you could look at other scripture references like Job 37, 18. And it talks about spreading out the sky hard as a mirror of cast bronze. It talks about it uh, being a, like a molten mirror, strong as molten mirror, molten looking glass in the King James, cast metal mirror. Okay, so, and this is God talking, right? In Job uh, 37. We see also in Proverbs 8, 28, that he made firm the skies above. So now we have two internal witnesses that verify the actual definition of the word as a firm, hard, solid structure not simply the expanses in air, gas, and the vacuum of space. Why is it hard? Well, I just told you a minute ago, it's because it's still separating the waters above. It says it was created specifically to divide the waters from the waters. And we see in Psalm 148, this is a long time after the flood now, David's still talking about waters that be above the heavens. So much for the canopy theory. The other problem is that the sun, moon, and stars were placed in the firmament. We'll talk to you about that in a second here. It is the location of Yahuwah's throne also. We see that in Ezekiel 126, the firmament, uh, above the firmament was over their heads, the likeness of a throne. Isaiah 66, 1, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And this was the most amazing scripture. And after having the first interview that I did with Zen on this, my mind was completely blown uh, about the, because King James talks about troop, he, that he builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has established his troop on earth. And I'm like, why does King James use troop and the New American Standard Bible use vaulted dome? Well, the word used there is aguda. It's the Hebrew word aguda. And uh, vaulted dome being one of them bands, the whole idea is something tightly knit together. When I was in the Army, I was in C Troop 1st, the 110th Air Cav. So what's a troop? A troop was a tightly knit unit of men together, right? This word it carries with it the idea of something bound to something else, tightly knit to it. 
and I uh, did an interview with Zen early on in this, and he was talking about he had already done quite a bit of research on it, and like, wow, this thing is attached to the earth. It's a firmament, hard, firm structure attached to the earth. That's why you can read in Scripture about God shaking the earth and the heavens are shaking, or God shaking the heavens and the earth are shaking. Why? Because they're connected. They're connected. You can look up in multiple English translations and see all kinds of you know, similar terminology about a vault being founded upon the earth. A vault founded upon the earth. And if you really want to get crazy, you can use like BibleHub.com and go to the foreign language side. This is all the, you know, not all the English translations, but a, a good representation of them. You could go and try, let's say, uh, the Afrikaans. So you could go on Bible Hub, look at the Afrikaans language, highlight it, copy it, put it in Google Translate, and you s you'll see that he settles his dome over the earth when you put it in Translate. Albanians, same thing. It builds his, up the chambers in the heavens and places the foundations of his heavenly cup on the earth. You can look at the Chinese. That is to build a building in the heavens to settle the heavens on the earth and to pour out seas on the earth. Yahua is his name. Koreans, same thing. He built the temple in heaven and laid the foundations of his expanse on the earth. Foundations of the expanse. And Russian, same thing. Upper palaces in the heavens set up his vault on the earth. So multiple languages are all in agreement. This thing is attached to the earth. That's why Isaiah would later write about the circle of the earth and the heavens being described as a tent, right? It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning, i.e. Genesis? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens, the Shamaim, as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. What happens when you use words like as? What is that? Simile, right? So do you think anybody had this in mind? As a tent! <laughs> I, I don't know what you took in school, but like when you use like words like as and like, it's supposed to be something that's like it, right? That's what they're telling us we're doing. We're going around the sun, and the sun itself is zipping through the universe as a tent to dwell in. So what do you think Isaiah had in his mind? Did he have that in his head? Do you think his audience had that in their head? No. When he said that the heavens are like a tent, they had something like this in their head. Something stretched out over a flat surface, like a Bedouin tent right there, or perhaps maybe a yurt, right? Or in modern times, we might say like a dome tent. Yeah, and as I was considering all these things, again, I mean, I was only into this about a week or so when I saw very clearly the, everything I looked at in the scriptures was pointing to a very different cosmology than what I had believed my whole life. And I started praying. I'm like, Father, like, I see what this says here. I'm like, what do I do with this? Like, space, the final frontier. Like, <laughs> I want to go boldly go where no man has gone before. Even though everywhere they went, there were men there that spoke English. I mean, <laughs> whatever. But I wanted to do that. <laughs> you know, what do I do with this? And the only thing he would say to me, and I'm telling you, not, not to the point of boo, <laughs> sometimes I got that way. But more often than not, I was just like praying fervently to the point of, you know, shedding a tear or two, asking God for over a year, what do I do with this? And his only answer to me was, I said what I said. He wasn't apologizing for it. He wasn't explaining it. I said what I said. For a year, I went through that. And 
there were many difficult times in that season. My my wife's father was dying of cancer. We had hospice in our living room, uh, so he was literally dying in our living room. Uh, I had sciatica real bad. My back was killing me. I could barely walk, could barely do anything. Everybody had abandoned me. Dude went crazy, you know. Like all I built, and it was a hard struggle. From 2010, I left my good-paying full-time job with benefits to go out and do crazy research and do the stuff that I felt like I was called to do. And it, from 2010 to 2013, struggle, struggle, struggle. Boom, publish a book, it hit real big. Next thing you know, I'm on the speaking circuit. I'm traveling the world. Things are good. I'm selling DVDs. Wonderful. 2015, flat earth. Boom, right back down to the bottom again. <laughs> I worked so hard. Boom. You could go on Amazon. I used to have like five-star reviews. Then people were like, I used to think he was smart. He thinks there was flat. How smart could he be, right? <laughs> so, no, my supporters are like, okay, he's gone crazy. Nobody's supporting us. Everything's just horrible. You know, it was a terrible season. And I'm so many times I'm throwing a towel. I'm throwing, I'm giving up. No way. I can't do it. It was, and I actually, some of you may remember this. I got into this research in April of 2015. Mark Sargent ruined my life on April 13th. <laughs> I'll never forget it. April 13th, when I listened to Mark Sargent on a Canary Cry podcast, thought he was crazy. Then by the end of it, I'm like, well, shoot, that kind of made sense. So I listened to it again, and he left his phone number at the end of it. So I'm like, I'm going to call the dude. And I had him on my radio show two days later, and it just ruined my life after that, April 15th. Uh, what's that? Yeah, well, Doug Hamp, there was a lot of people that, that ditched me after that. But, uh, you know, so... I start questioning. For that first year, I wasn't even committing. I was just saying, look, all I'm doing is looking into this. All I'm doing is researching it. All I'm telling people is, look, just take 24 hours of your life. That's it. 24 hours. Take 24 hours of your life to, to look into it for yourself. And no, you're a heretic. You're an idiot. You're it is. And, and uh, by August, that was April, by August, I had just had enough. Forget it. I'm done. I had built a whole website dedicated to this, tons of stuff on there. I took it all down and put the Phil Collins song, I Don't Care Anymore, on every page. <laughs> I was one day I was driving in my car and I'm, like, I'm just turning the radio and I don't care anymore. You, you can drag my name all over the mud. I'm like, yeah, Phil gets me. He's the only one that gets me. So Phil Collins on every page of my website. A couple days later, I got a handwritten letter from a former atheist who basically in, in, politely but firmly said, how dare you? He told me he was a lifelong athe militant atheist. And he said, I saw this, and he's like, do you even believe what you're saying? You've changed my life, man. How dare you? <laughs> and at the end of it, he signed it. And I don't remember the exact words, but something to this, to this effect. He said, I'm going to sign this letter off saying something I've never said to anybody ever before in my life. He said, may God give you the grace and the courage and the strength to continue on the path that he's put you on. An atheist, former. <laughs> That's what got the website back up. I put that website back up. I'm like, all right. I put it up. And then I'm reading uh, Terra Firma by David Wardless Scott. Anybody read that book? Whew. At the end of that book, he's an old guy. and he, At the beginning of the book, he's like, can barely see. He's at the end of his ministry, and he felt like God put this on him to take a stand against everything that was going on in the late 1800s, you know, with evolution and all that stuff. So this is like 1901. He's writing this book, and he lays a earth, not a globe, you know, from Scripture, fact and reason, terra firma, and at the end of it, he basically said, I've done what I've been called to do, and he, he was, I, I'm reading this at the pool in my apartment complex, and I felt like he was holding the baton out to me. He's like, because he, he said, I've done what I'm supposed to do. He says, now, dear reader, you know, basically, it's up to you. 
And I felt like this dude, this old guy from 1901, was reaching out with a baton saying, you're going to take it? And I'm going, are you kidding me? And with fear and trembling, I took it. And I said, all right, okay, dude, like, I'll take it. And, and prayed, Father, you're going to have to give me the strength to get through this because, I mean, it was such a brutal season. And during that time, I get this package in the mail. It's like this thick. And look, if it's more than a half a page, it goes in the I get to it later pile because I've got a lot coming in to me. Uh, and it was one of those, you know, it's a package. I'm like, wow, yeah, just, I just put it aside. Then I met this guy and he said, uh, I know this guy, Andy Hoy, he sent you something. He said, did you get a package from this guy named Andy Hoy? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And he's like, well, you know, go look and see if you did because you really need to check it out. I'm like, all right. So when I got home, I looked through the pile and I saw this thing. It was that big thing. I'm like, this is the one really? So I opened it all up. And see this, right? Andy is a structural engineer by trade and a Hebrew scholar. He had spent time in Israel. And if you've ever been to Israel, I went to Israel in 2005, you'll see a lot of uh, models and representations of the tabernacle in the wilderness in different places. So, uh, you know, as a biblical literalist, Hebrew scholar, and a structural engineer, he's looking at the typical construct of the tabernacle. And he's like, man, that's the least structurally sound thing you could build in the wilderness, a box. You know, it's going to fall over left and right. And as a result, people know that when you try to construct a thing, you have to add more poles and tent pegs and rope and stuff like that. Well, how many of you know that when Bezalel was given the instructions by Moses from God, that there was a very specific itemized list that he was given? And how many of you know the Torah says don't add to it and don't subtract from it? It comes with a very strong, firm warning about that, right? So he's given, Moses has shown something in heaven that he's supposed to emulate here on earth, and he's given a diagram and an itemized shopping list to give to Bezalel, and I always forget the other guy, Oholiab, I think was his name, the other guy. First two guys filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, artists. And they're to build this thing. Well, Andy's like, well, everything that I'm seeing is violating the commandment. They've got other things on here, other poles and ropes and things not on the shopping list, which are necessary to keep that thing stabilized in the wilderness. So he's like, what is going on here? And, he's, and he started looking deeper into the text, and it says to connect the uh, curtains at the edge. Well, everybody assumes, you, and they're long rectangular strips. So everybody assumes you connect them at the, at the long end. And when you do, you end up with a rectangular box. But there's nothing in the text that demands that you connect them at the long end. So he thought, well, what if I connected them at the short end? And when he did that, he ended up with a six-story high circular dome tent in the wilderness. And he's like, well, as far as I can tell, I'm not violating anything. He's checked it every which way. He's recently published a book on that. You should check it out, look it up. Uh, I think it's called House of El Shaddai, I believe, by Andy Hoy. You can get it on Amazon. Very detailed uh, book. And Andy had sent this. Now, he had no dog in this hunt, was not a flat earther, not into any of that kind of stuff. But I had also, at that same time, when he has just finished designing this thing, he was looking, because he discovered that there are aspects of this that had to do with pie. And so he was looking for it. He's like, oh, that must prove the globe. So he was looking online for images of the globe. And he was finding the same thing that many of us found when you start looking that up. You start seeing words like CGI, artist conception, you know, things that tell you this is not a composite. It's, it's not an actual photograph. And he's like, what? In the course of his research, trying to find a copyright-free picture that he could use and for his illustrations, he saw the stuff that I was putting out, and I had just done this. I just created this in 3D software, uh, this representation of what, what I see in my head as I was reading the text. And he's looking at that. He's looking at what he created. He's like, I got to contact this guy. So he sent it to me. So he, I get this package right at this time in my life when I'm like ready to throw the towel one of many times. 
And I'm like, wow. So we started talking, and uh, we've had a very interesting set of dialogue since then. Um, you'll have to talk to him more about all that, but worth looking into at project314.org. So then you have other scriptures. Now, my, my thing is, if that's the case, if the scriptures are clearly describing something like that, then that six-story high dome tent, that, and it would be like a red with the fire inside it, you know, going through the middle, that would have been a very impressive sight in the wilderness. Imagine six million Israelites camped around this big red glowing eyeball with fire coming out of it in the middle of the desert. That'd be very impressive to the enemies of Israel, as opposed to that tiny little rectangle box that no one would be able to see over the heads of people walking around, practically. Yeah, very interesting. Um, we have other testimonies, such as the Book of Enoch. talks about in chapter 89, it's a vision of the coming flood. And it says he looked and he raised his eyes towards heaven and saw a lofty roof. And seven torrents thereon, and those torrents flowed with much water into an enclosure. One, two, three, four, five times it uses the phrase, into an enclosure. Well, that makes sense if you're thinking about flooding the earth, right? He's just filling up a bathtub <laughs> right here, opening up the windows of heaven. This is the larger structure. Again, this is not, thus saith the Lord, this is, thus thinketh Rob, okay? Don't get all dogmatic about this. This is what I see in my head as an artist, as I'm reading through the various texts, trying to take the various pieces of the puzzle and putting it together visually. That's what I see in my head. Uh, we see in Genesis that the windows of heaven were opened. I got to be honest with you. If I'm comparing models side by side, the one on the left makes a whole lot more sense. Windows. What are windows? Things built into other things, <laughs> right? Doesn't really seem to fit fluffy clouds. Not to me, anyway. Um, now, you have these creation ministries and characters like Dr. Danny Faulkner, who's become the arch nemesis of Flat Earth. I actually like Danny. We've uh, spent a fair amount of time talking with each other. As a human being, I think he's a really cool guy. Um, but he's been sort of tasked with being like the official apologist against Flat Earthers for answers that I actually now say not found in Genesis because they're never given any answers from Genesis when it comes, from, uh, when it comes to this topic right here. But when he was uh, dealing in one of his books, uh, Universe by Design, on page 96, he was dealing with the issue of the firmament. This is what he said. He said, the translators of the Greek Septuagint rendered the Hebrew word rakia as stereoma, which Jerome followed as firmamentum in the Latin Vulgate, which in the AV, the authorized King James Version, was transliterated as firmament. According to Danny, this is a terrible translation, and many modern translations break from this to render rakia as expanse. The only reason he's saying that is because he wants it to mean that. Here's a guy who, very much like me, grew up in a Christian environment and Christian upbringing, you know, Christian education, reading his Bible, but also had a secular education in astronomy. Loved space, loved the stars, and that's his career field. Well, sorry, Danny, but they're not compatible. What you were learning in secular school is not compatible with what the Bible is saying. But just like me and so many other people, I wanted to hold on to space, the final frontier. So the only way to do that, you're going to have to grossly manipulate the text to say what it doesn't say. He says the word stereoma conveys the meaning of something hard. So he understands that. He understands that the Greek word stereoma, which is when they made the Septuagint, the Hebrew scholars took their Hebrew text, translated into Greek. He recognizes that stereoma means something hard, such as crystalline spheres of ancient Greek cosmology upon which the stars were implanted. Thus, the translators of the Septuagint incorporated the current cosmology of their day, their day into their own translation. This is very similar to those who read the Big Bang to the Genesis creation account today. Uh, no, that's what he's doing. That's not what the Hebrew scholars did. Let's talk about the Septuagint. 
why it is important. 72, according to the story, 72 Jewish scholars, six from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, according to Philo of Alexandria, were asked by the Greek king of Egypt, Ptolemy II Philadelphus, to translate the Torah from biblical Hebrew into Greek for inclusion in the library of Alexandria. The following narrative explains how this was done, and it is found in the pseudepigraphic letter of Aristius to his brother Philocrates. It is likewise repeated by Philo of Alexandria, Josephus, and by various later sources, included, including St. Augustine, among others. Quote, King Ptolemy once gathered 72 elders. He placed them in 72 chambers, each of them in a separate one, without revealing to them why they were summoned. He entered each one's room and said, Write for me the Torah of Moshe, your teacher. God put it in the heart of each one to translate identically as the others did. You imagine 72 guys under pain of death now, right? Terrified. They got to take their Hebrew Torah, which they already reverence. I mean, if you know anything about uh, when they would uh, make copies of it, they could get all the way to the end of Deuteronomy, mess up on something, scrap the whole thing, start over again. Like that, this was serious business for these guys. So now these guys have the responsibility of taking their highly revered text, the, the Hebrew Torah, and translating it alone in a room <laughs> into Greek. And all of them translated exactly the same way. You're going to tell me that all of them just randomly picked something, oh, we're going to mess around with the Greek cosmology? No. They understood what rakia meant. Hard, solid structure as if beaten out. And they chose the Greek word stereoma. Now, I have a friend of mine who's become my go-to guy. He's, his name is Peter. He grew up in Greece, speaks Greek fluently. So I regularly call him out of the blue. He never has a dog in the hunt. He has no idea why I'm calling him most of the time. I'll just out of the blue call him up and I'll ask him a question. In this case, I said, hey, Peter, stereoma, what does stereoma mean? And he started describing it as something that's a hard, firm structure, like a foundation, you know, something like that. Uh, very much like you see here, a com uh, the definition of combining form borrowed from Greek where it meant solid use with reference to hardness, solidity, three-dimensionality in the formation of compound words. So I said, Peter, I, then is there any way that this word could be used to describe air, gas, or the vacuum of space? He's like, no. That would be like trying to say, you know, concrete <laughs> means air, gas, or the vacuum of space. No dog in this hunt, right? So he confirms. It's a hard, firm, solid structure. You have other scholars out there like Logos Bible Software. It's one of the most expensive Bible software packages out there you can get. They're very proud of it. It's very expensive. Hebrew scholars looking at it, looking at the text, being intellectually honest with the text. They created this graphic right here, which they hate me sharing. And they actually came after me at one point for copyright. They're saying, you're sharing paid content for free. I said, well, your, so your own software shares it for free. That if you pay for the software, you get to the page where it has this on it that has share buttons that you can share on social media. So as soon as you share it on social media, it's out. So why are you coming after me? Because I had it on my websites and stuff. So what I did was I said, I'll tell you what. I, what I did, because I knew the code, uh, and so I linked on my HTML. I used the HTML code to link the picture that was on their server to my website. So it's just a line of code on my website that says, go get the picture from their website. So I said, I removed it. No, you didn't. It's right there. I said, well, yeah, it's drawing it from your website. So when you remove it, it'll disappear from my website. <laughs> Do you believe what you're saying or not? You know, the reason they want me to get rid of it is because a lot of people are converting. You know, 
and I'm like, well, I mean, so these scholars, they understand they're using, you know, in, in, they're being intellectually honest with the text, they're saying this is what the text means, this is what the Hebrews believed, they, and they depicted it visually right there, but they don't believe it. They, these scholars, these same people who say that's what they believe, the people who wrote the Bible believe, they don't believe it because they'll default to something called the doctrine of accommodation, which I define as heresy. Generally speaking, the principle of the doctrine of accommodation is that God has chosen to reveal aspects of himself to humanity in a way which humanity is able to understand. Somebody created this meme right here. It says, okay, here's the deal. Since you all are too stupid to understand, some of my word will be true, but some will be made up, so you idiots will have some idea what I mean. However, you won't know what is true and what is not. Ah, never mind, just trust me, I am Yahuwah. That's a great way of summarizing the doctrine of accommodation. Major problems with this doctrine. It makes you a liar or an accomplice to lies. How do you know Scripture says of Scripture that Scripture is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit? Right? So if the Holy Spirit knew how this place was created and it's not the way I'm showing you here, then you just made the Holy Spirit, uh, God, a liar. Accommodating the pagan cosmology. Well, they, they can't figure it out. So like the idea of a ball is too hard for you, idiots. So I'll give you a circle. Right circle there. Go ahead. I know you don't know what a ball is. So, You just call God a liar or made him a, an accomplice to lies. And it tosses out any notion of biblical inerrancy. If you're going to go around saying the Bible is the inerrant word of God, you can't say that if it's full of errors. You can't do it. And it nullifies divine inspiration. Look, either this thing is true and divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit or it's not. Make up your mind, but don't come up with some ridiculous thing called the do doctrine of accommodation to explain why you don't want to believe it. It says what it says. That's what God kept telling me. Regarding the Septuagint, I found something else interesting because we all know, you know, whenever you start talking about uh, the cosmology, how many of you, Isaiah 40, 22, circle the earth, see, globe. When I first got into this, everybody and their dog was sending me Isaiah 40, 22. And they're talking parrot. Brack, circle the earth. Brack, circle the earth. Everybody was sending that to me. Circle of the earth. Hangs the earth on nothing. That's right. He hangs the earth on no thing. It's set on pillars. Over and over and over again. It says that the thing is set on pillars. So that's why he says he doesn't hang, he hangs the earth on no thing. It's set on pillars. Job, same guy, wrote that. Right? But that's the only two scriptures you have. If you don't believe what I'm saying, you got two scriptures. Circle and hangs the earth on nothing. Circle is not ball. And uh, Dr. Robert Schneider says here in uh, one of his online articles, he says, a circle is no more a sphere in scripture than it is in geometry. Looking at these usages together, I am hard put to see how anyone could justify rendering hug, that's a Hebrew word used there in Isaiah 40, 22 for circle, as sphericity. The earliest translations of these scriptures bear this out. In the Septuagint, the translators render the nominal and verbal forms of hug in every case with the Greek gyros, noun, circle, or ring, which they use in Isaiah 40, 22a, or gyru, verb, to make or inscribe a circle. Gyros does not mean sphere, and in fact, nowhere in any Greek recension of the Hebrew scriptures will one find the proper word sphera used in this context at all. They had a Greek word that they could have chose for sphere. So even if you want to say the Hebrew word hug is ambiguous, they had more words to choose from when they were looking at the Greek. 
So if hug was meant to convey sphericity, they could have chose the Greek word for that, but they didn't. They chose the Greek word for circle. The history of the formation of the Septuagint is largely lost, and we do not know if the prophets were translated in Alexandria as the Torah was in the 3rd century B.C. But if they were, and if the translators were familiar with the concept of the spherical earth taught at the Musion of Alexandria, then the center of Greek science, they gave no hint of it in their translation of hug. Sorry, you can't use that scripture. For me... You know, I, I was banging my head going through these scriptures for, like I said, over a year. But the firmament was what sealed the deal in more ways than one. Unquestionably, the thing is hard. Job 37, 18. Firm. Proverbs 8, 28. Supporting the waters above. Genesis 1, 6 through 8. Psalm 148, 4. Attached to the earth. Amos 9, 6. Within which you have placed the sun, moon, and stars. Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And upon which his throne sits. Ezekiel 1, 26. Isaiah 66, 1. Clearly, this is a very important issue to Yahuwah. Psalm 19, 1. I just dumped a whole bunch of scriptures on you. How are your two doing? <laughs> Hangs the earth are nothing. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. This is an important thing to Yahuwah. The only model that accommodates every aspect of the firmament is the circular, enclosed world model. The only way around this is to grossly misrepresent the scriptures, yanking the true meaning of the words used out of context and fantasizing about definitions for those words, which are not even remotely supported by the text or the historical context in which the scriptures were written. When he says the firmament shows his handiwork, and you're trying to tell me that the firmament is just air, gas, and the vacuum of space. You've just nullified it. You've just said the firmament is nothing. It's nothing. And yet, he says it declares the glory of God. That seems like it's an important issue to Yahuwah. What else is placed inside the firmament? Well, we see God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and to let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them where? In the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. In the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Do you see planets being created on the fourth day? No. I didn't either. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Yeah, in fact, the word planet does not exist in Scripture. It's not in your Bible. Read Genesis 1 and show me any mention of Yahuwah creating planets. It's not there. What you see is earth created first and the sun, moon, and stars created to serve it. Heliocentricity is totally foreign to the biblical narrative of the cosmos. And what we call planets are really the wandering stars of Jude, which are reserved for judgment. Now, let me ask you, why do rocks need to be judged? These are wandering stars reserved for judgment. Why does God need to judge a rock or a gas ball or a fireball? Maybe you saw our Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Ego. <laughs> okay, maybe that might be an exception. No. God judges. <laughs> Somebody got it. <laughs> he judges sentient beings that make a conscious decision to rebel against him. Yeah. Planets as we know them exist nowhere in, scrip in Scripture. Not even in 2 Kings 23.5. The word used there is Mazaloth, which is a reference to the sign of the Zodiac. So, you know, there are people out there, you know, God bless them, as we say in Texas, bless your heart. I, I've... <laughs> I grew up around King James-only people my entire life, so I'm familiar with every argument that they have. I've heard them about a billion times. King James-only, right? King James uses planets. See? 
planets in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's in the English translation of the Bible, but that's not what the word means. Translators put that there in 1611. Coincidentally, wow, shortly after Copernicus showed up. Hmm, interesting. No, the word used there is constellations, and pretty much every other English translation gets it right. Uh, you can look it up in various concordances. It tells you the same thing. So, Yeshua said in Matthew 24, he said, uh, you know, disciples came to them and they, and they said, tell us what, you know, shall these, when should these things be? What shall be the sign of the coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. The word deceive there is Strong's 4105, planeo, to lead astray, to, see, to deceive, cause to wander, uh, to get off course, planeo. Now that's Strong's number 4105, so we'll put that there. Uh, it says it comes from plane, which is Strong's 4106, uh, which is wandering, deceit, delusion, error. Uh, see also Planos, Strong's 4108, uh, which says a deceiver trying to get others to veer off God's course. Hmm. Well, when we look at Jude 13, that word right there is Strong's number 4107, which is planetes. That's where we get the word in English, planet, wandering star. Interesting, if you look at the definition for planetes, properly a wandering star, a false teacher operating without moral compass and exploiting other aimless people, prompting them to also stray from God's circle of safety. So when you're saying planet Earth, planet Earth, planet Earth, you're saying the wandering deceptive Earth that leads people away from the circle of God's safety and truth. The word, that's what it means. I'm showing you, go look it up for yourself. That's what it means. And it says that he placed them in the firmament. In the firmament. The, when a Hebrew word is preceded with the letter bait, it, as a prefix, it means in. It's the first letter in your Bible. In the beginning. Bereshit. This is berakia. In the rakia. And bait is also the word for house. So if you think of that structure that Andy Hoy had created and the model I created, in the beginning he created a structure, a house for us, right? A dwelling place for us. And he put the sun, moon, and stars in that firmament-enclosed dwelling. So, uh, sorry, Dr. Hoven, sorry, Dr. Baugh and others. I used to teach it myself, taught the same stuff, used their materials, believed it, taught it myself. But there's a problem with that. <laughs> you know, there are waters still above it. Be above, remember the firmament is there to separate waters from waters. So there's still waters above, according to David in Psalm 148. And their model, this is a bigger one, requires the sun, moon, and stars to be outside the firmament, not in it, as the scriptures clearly say. They got a canopy surrounding the earth with sun, moon, and stars outside of it. When did the sun show up, by the way? Day four. When did the earth show up? Before that? Day three? Right? Firmament, day two? Hmm. Dry land appear? Sorry. Doesn't work. How about this? We should take the Bible literally. Really? Hmm. We have Isaiah saying, All the hosts, how much is all? All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and heaven shall be rolled together as a scroll. And how many? All of their hosts shall fall down. Hosts of heaven is a phrase used to describe the stars and also the armies of heaven. Hosts of heaven, you know, the captain of the heavenly hosts, right? Hosts of heaven, armies of heaven, 
angels, stars. Over and over and over again, you see the words star and angel interchangeably. Revelation 9.1. And I saw a star fall from heaven, and to him was given the key to shaft the bottomless pit. According to Scripture, and, and Enoch tells you point blank, stars are sentient beings. They're heavenly luminaries. They're a class of angels known as the heavenly luminaries. Jesus, Yeshua, he says, the stars of heaven shall fall. I believe he's quoting Isaiah, and if he is quoting Isaiah, how many of the stars are going to fall according to Yeshua? Hmm. Peter talks about the heavens going to pass away with a great noise, and we see in John in the Revelation, it says, and how many of the stars? If he's quoting the other guys, the stars of heaven fell onto the earth. Okay, let's put that into perspective, shall we? Okay, we got a big problem if Beetlejuice is headed our way. You know, followed by Andromeda. <laughs> oh, no, by the way, it's not the only galaxy supposedly out there. Okay? This is what science is telling us is out there. That, that all of these swirling galaxies are full of stars that are supposedly suns with planets going around them. You have Isaiah, Yeshua, Peter, and John telling you all of them are going to fall here. Somebody's lying. And I'm not prepared to say it's Isaiah, Yeshua, Peter, or John. So therefore, it's got to be Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson and all those guys that got to be wrong. This was a deal breaker for me. I'm going, man, I, what do I do with that? Except just believe it. Somebody's lying. Man, who took that picture, right? Yeah. It's called Photoshop. Okay. According to all the texts that you see there, we live in a self-contained three-tiered system with heaven, earth, and the underworld. According to all the texts you see here, there is a solid firmament dome vault over us. According to all the texts you see here, Yahuwah's throne sits above the heavens and the waters. All the texts you see here, the earth is inscribed as a circle, flat fashion, in a circular flat fashion into something with four corners and surrounded by water. We see in all the text you see here that the sun, moon, and stars are in the firmament and that all of the stars are going to fall to earth. We see that there are floodgates or windows in the firmament according to the text that you see there. Earth is a geocentric, stationary world set on pillars according to the text that you see there. How are your two texts doing <laughs> by comparison? From Genesis to Revelation, the earth is consistently described by Holy Spirit-inspired authors as fixed and not moving, spinning, orbiting, etc. Circular with edges, corners, pillars, foundations, etc under a dome within which the sun, moon, and stars were placed on day four. I got to tell you, when I compare models, I'm not saying mine's right, but, you know, as a concept, which one is a better fit? Which model is a better fit for a stationary world set on a firm foundation of pillars under a solid dome within which the sun, moon, and stars move and which will accommodate all of those stars falling to earth? It's the only thing that makes sense to me. Oh, but wait, we've seen the pictures! Come on, Rob. I can't tell you how many people were sending me stuff like this. See? Proof! Okay. Blue Origin, right? You got, uh, you, know, you know, all these guys out there, Elon Musk and all these other guys. They got their own space programs. Okay, you don't believe NASA? Fine. Believe Elon or believe, you know, these other guys. Or Blue Origin, right? Well, okay, look. Blue Origin on the ground. Blue Origin in space. Do you see anything? That should give you a clue. You can tell it's real because it looks fake. Look, I mean, they, people were sending me this stuff as their proof. See, look, duh, can't you tell? It's a globe. I'm like, yeah, look at it on the ground. 
Can't you tell? Are there any critical thinking skills out there anymore? Like, I mean, come on. And oh, Felix, right? Felix, Red Bull, he jumped over planet New Mexico. Remember that? <laughs> and oh, by the way, the, the spaceship just so happens to magically, you know, manifest <laughs> advertising on it. Sometimes, and sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Uh, GoPros, you know, a lot of people will, will use GoPros because they're lightweight and they're small, so that it's practical, it makes sense, you know, especially where weight can be a consideration. Uh, but GoPros come with a fisheye lens, which grossly distorts images. Um, but there are software. You can get software. If you know the camera and you know the lens that's, that it uses, you can, if you're a video editor or using uh, Photoshop or something like that, if you know the camera and the lens that's being used, there's software that will correct what they call barrel distortion. Barrel distortion is what you know, causes that effect right there. So somebody took the Blue Origin uh, footage and corrected it using that software. This is what they showed us. on the ground because we know the horizon on the ground is flat. Hundred and forty thousand So I can't tell you how many people tell me that I'm an idiot. They'll tell me that they can see ships go over the curve at four miles. Four miles are going over the ball. They're telling me, uh, if you've ever flown on an airplane, you see the curve out the window. I'm in an airplane a lot, let me tell you. Okay, 
if you think you're seeing the curve of the earth at 35,000 feet, you're crazy. Even Neil deGrasse Tyson says that's not possible. All right? No, you're, you're, you're thinking you're seeing the curve because you've programmed yourself to believe that because you had a globe in your classroom since you're in kindergarten. But it's not really there. You're not seeing the curve. And when I started like going out and looking with new eyes, like, yeah, there's no curve. I'm taking pictures out with my camera and stuff. And did two, we did three high-altitude weather balloon uh, tests. One of them failed. Uh, so, but two of them got up to over 100,000 feet. And now people are like, aha, congratulations, Rob just proved the curve because there was a very slight curve detected at about 110,000 feet. But when we, and we worked really hard because we were using a GoPro lenses, uh, GoPro cameras. We went and looked and tried to find a lens that would fit on a GoPro that didn't have a fisheye. So we were looking to see what uh, lenses were available that were as close to the human eye as we could possibly get. Well, by the way, the human eye is spherical. <laughs> Uh, so we even have barrel distortion to some degree in our own eyeball. Um, and we found a lens that was very close to what the human eye was. And even with that, at 110,000 feet, you saw a very slight curve. But we did a test later on the ground. We took a straight edge in the parking lot and showed that the exact same curvature was visible on the ground on a straight edge. You know, So that just showed that the curvature that you were seeing at 110,000 feet was due to the lens. It had nothing to do with, you know, with the actual Earth itself. So in conclusion... Why I believe understanding biblical cosmology is important. Number one, Genesis is the foundation of all that we believe in the Bible to be true. If Genesis is wrong, then it all crumbles under a faulty foundation. Why should we believe anything at the back of the book, i.e. the New Testament, if the front of the book is full of nonsense? Yeshua endorsed Moses. So if Moses is full of it, what does that say about Yeshua, his disciples, and every other author of Scripture, for that matter, all of which viewed the Torah as their Bible at the time? Two, if what we are seeing concerning the flat and closed earth thesis is true, then we are all there is. We are center stage. We are the main attraction, and there can be no argument as to whether or not there is a creator. None. His existence could not possibly become more blatantly obvious than in this model. Three, if the flat and closed earth thesis is true, evolution goes out the window, and the theory of ancient alien cedars is also obliterated. In this regard, I believe we become painfully aware of the great deception and will not be fooled by it. Four, if the flat and closed earth thesis is true, then we cannot ever trust NASA or the government about anything, and we will finally be forced to fully trust Yahuwah's word as our sole source for truth and stop trying to bend and manipulate it to fit false paradigms. And finally, five, if the fat and <laughs> flat, if the flat enclosed earth thesis is true, then we must reevaluate things like UFOs and aliens in the light of the spiritual realm as opposed to the physical realm. We are not dealing with beings from other worlds out in space. Rather, we are dealing with fallen spiritual ent entities who are at war with Yahuwah and man. And tomorrow in part two, we will discuss Flat Earth 666 and the war against Yeshua. Thank you very much. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed that. That wraps up that video Thank right there. Thank you very there. much, Rob. And, and as always, hallelujah. All right, that wraps up that video right there. Let me refresh this page. Um, there were several questions, of course, in the chat room here uh, that are addressed in, biblically speaking, and these videos should help you out. I mean, there's plenty of stuff here. But I created this, uh, I just put this on here, this playlist while that video was playing. Um, look, I'm not trying to prove the earth is flat to anybody anymore. I, you guys, there's too many yabbits for everything. Everything you post, there's a million yabbits. You play the yabbit game forever on, on both sides of it. Yabbit, yabbit, yabbit. One thing I know for sure, 
absolutely indisputable fact is that the authors of Scripture believe that the earth was flat, circular, set on pillars, under a firm, hard, solid structure called the firmament. That's just a fact. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a consistent cosmological worldview that they all had. And if you believe, as I do, that Scripture is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, then I'll take it a step further. Not only did the people of the Bible believe it, but the Holy Spirit did too. So that's been my mission right now. Uh, I'm not going to go out there doing any more tests. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars and countless hours going out and doing tests and stuff like that just for people to say, oh, you know, Skeep is an idiot and this, that, and a million yabbits and all that kind of stuff. So you know what? No, I'm not going to try to prove that the earth's flat to anybody. I will prove that the scriptures absolutely testify that it's a circular, still flat earth set on pillars under a dome. And then you're going to have to deal with that. So you're going to have the same struggle I had to deal with. You know, this is what the Bible says. This is what, quote, unquote, science says. But again, like I said earlier, science, true science, they'll tell you, has to be falsifiable. But truth can't be falsified. And Scripture is true. So there you go. <laughs> I'm going to show you what the Scripture has to say, and then you're going to have to deal with that on your own uh, and pray about it. Uh, that said, back when I was trying to prove all kinds of stuff, uh, I put together this playlist right here. There's 14 videos in this playlist uh, debunking debunking the supposed top 10 reasons. You know, there's all these videos out there. Top 10 reasons why we know the Earth's a globe. And so I went through each one of them and uh, debunked them. And so this playlist right here will show you that. And I just added it to our show page here for you. All right, now I will call. says Jake and Juan Carlos say they are... On standby here, ready to go, and let's ring them in here. Hey, I got Jake. Okay, cool. Hello. Hey, man. And Juan Carlos is here. And uh, let me switch over. All right. Welcome, guys. How was your Sukkot? Good. Good. Just got just got back. Yeah, we just got back from uh, celebrating the last great day. And uh, it was pretty great. We were down at Steve Mutrius Sukkot, and then we came up for one last big celebration up here in southern uh, Missouri area. So it's been great, man. Really enjoyed Sukkot this year. It was really a really good thing for us. Yeah. How how was Steve and everybody else doing? It was fantastic. Uh, I uh, I really uh, think everybody kind of enjoyed their time. Um, it was probably their biggest Sukkot I think so far, and uh, just uh, just a quick tidbits that uh, happened there. We had two areas, so we had an Area 51 night, and then because people were not satisfied with just Area 51 night, we had Area 52 night. So we had two full nights where people were presenting different interesting theories. The weird stuff. You know, we're in a a world where conspiracy theories are a thing. But the other thing that I really found great from this year's Sukkot was uh, they kind of implemented uh, the most interesting format of mid-rash and open discussion that I've ever experienced and I'm I'm totally sold on it now and mm. it's a uh, it's basically the process where all these people come and they bring up these varying topics that they want to talk about and uh, we all vote on which ones we want to talk about and so the person who brings the topic to the table will present their position on scripture you know whatever it is and they'll have five minutes to make their case and then mm. it goes around the room no interruptions no crosstalk 
and everyone has two minutes to kind of either agree or bring up scripture or you know disagree and uh, and it goes all the way around so everyone gets their opinion heard and as a community we can hammer out these hard-hitting heavy topics that a lot of people are curious about hmm. um, and and want to kind of you know talk through and oh man it was such a fantastic it was one of my favorite parts of the whole Sukkot and uh, definitely something I want to do in the future. Very cool. Yeah, so it was sort of like a, a moderated debate type of format, <laughs> sounds like. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Awesome. Juan Carlos, uh, you finished up several days ago, right? Uh, it was on Thursday, I think, was your last day, probably? Wednesday or Thursday? My last day was on Wednesday, actually. Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a nice season. You know, I was sharing in the last, the last day of virtual health church that Sukkot is so amazing season. Just to enjoy, to have a joy with the Yahuwah, just to... To, to, to enjoy life and enjoy, enjoy our creator. Yeah. So, yeah, the, you know, I, I, I understand, Jake, you know, sharing with more people, it's a fantastic uh, joy. I guess I haven't had that the chance, uh, you know, here in my country, we don't have a, such, a, such a big community. But, uh, you know, I haven't shared in my videos with, with people. We need to keep joy in our heart anyway, because it's the time to enjoy Yahuwah. It's, it's the time thinking on what's the meaning of Sukkot and thinking what is coming ahead of us in the, in the near near future. And, uh, you know, we will have the chance, most probably very soon, to, to enjoy Azucot face-to-face, uh, all of us. Now that we are virtually together, we are going to be face-to-face together. Yeah. I think that was my favorite part, is that whenever you have all these people that, for the most part, are maybe spread out, you have different camps of interest in terms of scriptural study. And whenever everyone comes together to celebrate these feasts and everybody has a heart for the scripture and digging deep into things, you have all these profound revelations because people start bouncing ideas off of each other and, and making connections that you wouldn't, you know, separated. But when everybody comes together for these feasts, man, you, the, some of the most profound things start coming out of these conversations. Yeah, definitely. Well, I wanted to hear what you, I, I don't want to monopolize this uh, particular tour portion would be very easy for me to do so <laughs> with uh, the creation being the first part of it and then introduction to the Nephilim being the second part of it uh, so uh, I'd like to turn it over to you guys um, Jake what are your thoughts on uh, on Genesis 1 through 6 well uh, I love this tour portion I just want to put that out right at the beginning you know the scripture talks about how we'll know the end from the beginning and of course the whole narrative of scripture is to get us back to the garden, back to that original intention that Yah had for man. And uh, and so um, just in that sense, I think there is so much you can unpack. You know, I've heard people with just the first few verses of Genesis do hour, hour-long teachings. Easily. And, um, and so you can really unpack a ton of things for this, but um, just in the sake of uh, running through some of the things that has stood out to me in this particular Torah portion, I'm going to run through a, just a couple bullet points and things that I think I'd like to you know, bring up. But um, before I do that, I wanted to mention that since we are restarting this uh, Torah portion cycle, there's a method of study that I'm I'm starting to mull over that I, I think I would like to apply for you know at least uh, you know whenever I come to the table of you know what I've studied out during this week's Torah portion, but um, I've been really fascinated in the uh, differences between the Masoretic text, the mm. Septuagint, and also uh, the, the the slight variations that you find in the Targum. Yeah. And so I'm wanting to do uh, while we're doing this particular you know cycle again, I'm going to be studying uh, like a three parallel uh, study with 
the Masoretic text, the Septuagint, and the, and looking at the Targums and see if there's any more that we can draw out of these Torah portions. Dude. Um, so I'm like, really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've got a chance to see any of the Quest for Truth shows that I'm doing with Zen, but that's what we're doing. I mean, we're going through Genesis right now. And for everybody else that's, that's watching this, if you're not familiar with it, we're going through Genesis line by line. And we're reading from the King James. I'll, I'll, I'll start off reading from the King James, and then we'll read from uh, Joshua, Enoch, and Jubilees to fill in. We did over 100 hours just on Enoch. So we wrote, we, we did commentary. I don't know how many hours we did commentary on Genesis 1 through 6. Uh, then when we got to Genesis 6, we're like, okay, now let's switch over and go to Enoch. And then we did the whole book of Enoch. And uh, and then we, after we're done with Enoch, we continued back with Genesis. And we're on Genesis uh, 13 as of this past uh, Wednesday. But but I'll typically read from the King James. Uh, and then he will read from the Targums. Then we'll read from the Targums. And for people that don't know what the Targums is, there's a difference. We hear these Hebrew words and we're not used to them. Some, some people get all tripped up and they think Talmud. No, there's a big difference between Talmud and Targum. King James is a is a Targum. Targum is the Hebrew word for translation, so it's just a translation of the text. So, in this case, King James is an English Targum of the Hebrew and Greek, you know, Old Testament, and New Testament, and so the Hebrews they had Targums. They when they you know because they went through their exiles in Babylon and all these different things like that, and they come back and the languages start to shift and change on them and stuff. And so the the first Targums were from the Hebrew into the Aramaic, and then we had the Septuagint into Greek. So this Greek Septuagint is another Targum, and uh, I was fascinated by the vast amount of differences in elaboration. Not, I don't really well. In some cases, you see entire the understanding of an entire passage might be radically different uh, as a result of the expanded um, I don't even want to use commentary because like Zen points out he says look these are Hebrew scholars coming out of Babylon you know coming back from the exile and they're translating their Hebrew into you know the, the Aramaic and to the Greek and whatnot and so they're bringing their understanding of the scripture to their translation and I mean wow some of this especially like Genesis 4 1 <laughs> Uh, was really one of those that really opened my mind, opened my eyes, because you read Genesis 4.1, and you think, that's a slam-dunk case. Adam knew his wife, and she gave birth to Cain. Done deal. <laughs> Not if you read the Targum uh, and, and, and a whole bunch of other texts uh, that go along with it. So, I mean, this is why I see tremendous value, like you, like you said, in taking what we have for the English Targum, King James or whatever translation is your preference, reading that, comparing it with the Hebrew as best we can, looking at online tools and the Greek, you know, looking at online tools, but looking at the Targum, and yes, the Septuagint, uh, if you if you want to read the Septuagint in English, you have the Brenton's uh, English translation of the Septuagint, and that's why I published the King James side-by-side -side with uh, the Brenton's Septuagint in the, um, the volume that I call the Genesis and the Synchronized Biblically Endorsed Extra-Biblical Text, in that book, I have King James on the, I think it's on the left, and the Septuagint on the right. And you will see some pretty substantial differences in some of the verses uh, there. So, yeah, I'm glad you're doing that, man. Um, that'll bring a lot of um, insight to these studies that we're doing moving forward, uh, starting today, certainly, but moving forward. So, yeah, I'm glad you're doing that. Targums, um, Zen has sent me some of the Targums. Now I'm going to start looking at them myself. Fascinating stuff. For sure, I think that's going to really yeah. 
help to unpack these these stories and um excited about that. Sorry, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean like, to cut you up cut you off. I just got excited when you when you were saying that. Yeah. It's almost like Genesis uh on steroids whenever you yeah. add in all of these various writings um you know just just how uh Jasher and Jubilees kind of expound on the well-known stories. It fills in all these blanks. And so like going through it is so fascinating um, to kind of get a, a, a fuller a context. You know, you know, people kind of debate, you know, how, how trustworthy the various extra biblical books are. But uh, really, if, if they don't directly contradict what I would consider kind of the mainstream canon, then I, I find it as interesting expansion on the stories that we've come to know and love and, and study out and uh, I just think it's really fast. I've not studied into the Targums a lot, but I just find it really interesting the the various you know differences in the text, and and I I think going combing through all three of those together will kind of help you know bring out some interesting things. But anyways, uh, this this week on uh, this particular tour portion, um, I always find it interesting because uh, at the beginning you know you have that context where Yah says, "Let us create man in our own image," and uh, my father-in-law. Uh, Carl Tishner, he's he's done some interviews with me um, over the, in the year, uh, previous years and stuff, but uh, he has this interesting uh, perspective on that that I've always think thought was fascinating. But um, he he looks at that and he talks about how in the plain reading of the text it could be extrapolated that the two th- uh, you know entities or whatever that Yah is speaking to, let us make man in our own image, uh, was the water and the earth. Um, and he makes the correlation between how our bodies are comprised of dirt, you know, minerals. He forms man from the dirt of the earth, and we're like 70% water. And so he, he makes an interesting parallel there. Uh, I'd have to have him come on and explain his full breakdown of that, but uh, I always find it fascinating whenever we come into this tour portion. He always brings up that, hey, you know, you know, he created the waters and the earth, and then he says, let's form man in, in our image. You know, could it be that that's why we're comprised of dirt and water? You know, I don't know. So hmm. something I, I've always thought was fascinating. Um, right at the beginning, you know, we learned that man was formed from the dust of the earth. And uh, an interesting correlation here with the varying skin tones of mankind is that all over the earth, there seem to be these uh, differing clay uh, tones, like clay textures. And all of these clay textures correlate to the various skin tones of mankind and uh and i always thought that was a an interesting thing um because you know from dust you were formed to dust you will return uh well it's interesting that we have all these you know red clay and dark clay and light clay and and all these different colors of you know dirt (laughs) um another thing that really stood out to me was the one of the very first commandments uh, in this torah portion given to mankind is the commandment to be fruitful and multiply and uh and you know i think you know in the long run this is something that the elite you know the people that want to try to quell the population of mankind to make us more easily controllable i don't mean to get too far into conspiracy stuff but you know georgia guidestones type type mindsets is uh you know the opposite of what yah kind of wanted for mankind is kind of what is being pushed on our culture which is oh do a small family have like one or two kids at the most um you have extreme population control happening in china um you know various other countries have you know you know they don't like to have uh girls or you know they the whole abortion industry is basically a a a mass you know eugenics thing and um 
And also, this all relates to, you know, why it's such a bad thing for our society that the sins of sodomy are kind of being imposed on us as a culture, and they want this mindset to become a normalized thing because, um, you know, we see, you know, in the New Testament, there's a couple sins that are listed as sins unto death, um, you know, sins where you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I don't mean to say one sin's worse than the other, but the, the bottom line with a sin like, you know, practicing sodomy and going against the traditional uh, man, woman, creates the family unit, um, it basically it causes cultures to go extinct. And we see that throughout history uh, when these things happen. And so it's interesting that going all the way back you know, to the very beginning, one of the first commandments is to be fruitful and multiply, you know, have a family. And uh, a, a great guy that I've always learned a lot from is Brad Scott. And he, he says mm-hmm. the whole scripture can be broke down into these few very simple concepts. A man, his wife, his family, his home, and his garden. And, uh, and that that's really uh, boils down the whole, you know, you can really uh, draw out a conclusion of what the purpose of our life here um, is, you know, is to serve Yah. Uh, he made us to be the tenders of his garden. He made Adam to be the gardener and to also be a husbandman of animals. And so this leads into my next point is uh, it's interesting the exchange of where, you know, Yah is like, it's not good for man to be alone and he needs some helpers. And so it's interesting that Yah presented first to Adam before he gave him the ultimate helper, woman, that he presented the animal kingdom to Adam. And Adam, of course, you know, was accredited with naming the various animals. Um, And it's interesting that we do know that animals, to some extent, can be helpers to mankind. You have, you know, the the domesticated livestock. You have uh, just the whole, the principle of uh, shepherding that most of the patriarchs did, animal husbandry. Um, That's all because there's a, a, a type of help that can come from the animal kingdom. But they didn't fulfill all the needs of men. They, you know, there wasn't a good suitable mate for him that really, you know, fulfilled all his needs. And 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 also, you know, this ties back to how are we fruitful and multiply unless we have our counterpart? And that's when it says, and the Lord God said in Genesis two eighteen, it is not good that man should be alone. Let us make for him a help suitable to him. And God formed yet farther out of the earth all the wild beasts of the field and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called any living creature, that was the name of it. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and all the wild beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help like to himself. Um, So I find the interesting, like the uh, chronology of those verses, it's like, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to bring in front of him all this animal kingdom and he can kind of name them all. But... It turns out at the end of that that uh, no suitable helpmate was found to help that was like himself, and that's when we have the whole story of Eve being taken from the, the you know made informed from the rib of Adam. And while I was reading through that, I found a fascinating uh, you know correlation possibly to um, I, I never thought about this before, but do you guys think that there might be a correlation with where Yeshua was pierced in his side? And the place that the rib of Adam was removed, he was pierced possibly mm-hmm. in that location where mm-hmm. the woman had been taken from him. And uh, and I wonder if there's anything to that um, in terms of like how Yeshua was pierced in his side. Um, 
uh, could he have been pierced, you know, in that location where that rib was taken away um, for Adam, you know, to form the woman? Because there's this whole, you know, beautiful picture of of uh, Yeshua coming to redeem the bride, you know, mankind. And um, anyway, so that's something that had popped out to me. Maybe you guys uh, have a, a thought there. Maybe you see that as a correlation or I'm totally off here. Um, but I find it interesting that in the Brenton Septuagint, it, uh, it, cha- it doesn't say that he named his wife Eve. Uh, it says, Adam called the name of his wife Life because she was the mother of all living. And, you know, I know Hava, uh, which is, you know, the Hebraic name tr- goes back to that in the, the meaning of that Hebraic word. Um, it's interesting that Yah formed Adam outside of the garden, placed him into the garden, and it calls this the Garden of Delight. And uh, and what it makes me think of is that while outside of the garden, Adam was cursed to have to toil and, and you know work the earth in order to bring forth fruit. Kind of makes me wonder if Yah hadn't set up the Garden of Eden to already be this beautiful, cultivated place, just like you have people here uh, on Earth today who've developed vineyards and apple orchard orchards and and all that kind of stuff. I wonder if it's just like the ultimate version of that. And that's why it was so easy for them to survive, and they didn't have to get food by the sweat of their brow. Um, but as soon as they went outside, it was just untamed earth, you know. Um, another thing that stood out to me as significant that I'd never thought of before is at after the fall of mankind, man was placed outside of the garden, and it says that a fiery sword in Genesis 3.24 was placed, um, and that the fiery sword turned about guarding the way into the Garden of Eden. And I am curious if maybe you guys can see this correlation as well. Could this perhaps been a early version of the Pillar of Fire that we see later on in Exodus? Specifically because it has that phrase, it turned about. So in my mind, it's a, you know, a fiery sword, right? Um, you know, it, you know, it's spinning around, turning about, and that's exactly what I would think of a Pillar of Fire being. So... Do, are we seeing this pillar of fire appearing later on in the text in the you know the account of the Exodus with a fiery sword appearing protecting the children of Israel from the armies of Pharaoh? So that's something that stood out to me as uh, a possible you know uh, precursor to this whole pillar of fire that we'll also see in the last days apparently according to some of the prophets. Um, all right, so one other thing, uh, I got just a few little things here. Um, uh, I uh, w- uh, I looked at this uh, account of Cain and the sacrifices uh, that Cain and Abel both made, and um, I've kind of come to the personal conclusion uh, that Cain, you know, Cain, the you know, the son of Adam, could be a a precursor or an archetype of almost a uh, an antichrist figure, uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, Cain, of course, um, did sin by offering something that Yah had not Yah was not pleased with and we know that Abel made an offering of the firstling of his flock and it pleased uh, the Lord right but Cain seemed to be offering something of his own machinations right he, he d- 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 um, decided to offer you know whatever he did of his the fruit of the land and it wasn't I guess uh, appropriate sacrifice in that context of what uh, Yah had wanted them to sacrifice and so could this be a precursor of the first type of sin of the golden calf where they he was offering something 
that was not asked for or offering something in his own way. And in that context, does that mean in a way he was the first person to kind of prop himself up as a god in his own eyes? Because whenever we choose to replace or do away with, that's the whole definition of Antichrist, right? Uh, to replace Christ or do something in place of him. And so uh, isn't that what kind of that sin of the golden calf was, is they were offering something. They said, let us make a feast unto Yahweh. Um, and they were perhaps offering something that he had never commanded. And in that way, aren't they kind of making themselves gods in their own eyes? Because they're saying, we know better. We're going to do it our way. And, uh, and isn't, isn't that kind of what the whole uh, premise of the Antichrist is, is he sets up himself to be called as God. Um, and uh, and that's, of course, uh, another uh, thing that I think is tied to this is that uh, Cain had a mark on his forehead. Um, but something that really stood out to me that I, I would love to ask you guys about, perhaps you have some insight, is why was Cain protected from uh, by Yah? Um, like, could he have possibly... now? Now, give me this. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe there's further context in some of the extra biblical books that can shed light on this. But here's just the thought. Could Cain possibly have slain his brother by accident? Or could, in another realm of thought, could he have uh, to be protected by Yah, you know, the he will be avenged by seven, because there was a lack of witnesses? Um, and is this why there was no avenger of blood in this context, like, why wasn't it that there was an avenger of blood for uh, Abel? And uh, and I'm wondering this because um, we see that Cain, it was recorded that he left and he went and built himself cities. And we see in context of uh, Exodus or in uh, Deuteronomy and uh, how the Levitical cities of refuge were placed all throughout the land of Israel and they were cities that were places of refuge for those who committed uh, murder on accident to go and escape those Avengers of Blood. So I, I find it interesting that Cain then went and built a city. Could this, if he did possibly, you know, possibly um, murder his brother Abel by accident, you know, could he have gone and built a precursor to one of these cities of refuge? Um, but if I'm totally off on this, and you guys have found in context that he murdered with malice in his heart. Um, and it wasn't so much an accident, then maybe this is a totally erroneous idea. Um, but uh, in Genesis 4.24, in regards to this whole, um, you know, uh, the, one of the sons of Cain uh, says that if Cain is avenged seven times, then let, you know, uh, I forget his name, um, Lamech. Uh, Lamech be avenged 70 times seven. And this is a parallel with the words of Yeshua where he says, you know, forgive your brother 70 times 7. And th that's something that always pops out to me with those numbers that are given. You know, the 70 times 7. Um, you know, what's the correlation between uh, what Yeshua is saying and when there is, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he goes, 70 times 7, you know. So that's something that has always fascinated me. And, um, uh, you know, just this, uh, this whole um, Torah portion is very interesting. You know, we have uh, the context of... Uh, Matthew 24 says uh, that uh, before the coming of the Son of Man, it will be as like the days of Noah. And, and I've kind of you know, been mulling over this idea. Uh, if the coming of the Son of Man is like the days, likened to the days of Noah, right? 
Well, it, we had roughly a thousand years until the days of Noah really were getting kicked off and then the flood came. So um, are we kind of like looking at a mirror image in time in terms of how the timeline plays out? Because, you know, we have at the end of the millennial reign, uh, you know, it says that Yahushua gives the keys of the kingdom and and the new heavens, and the new new earth are recreated and the glory of Yah dwells among man and uh and so I wonder if, if it's almost kind of like a, a, a mirrored image in, in terms of how uh, the timeline of creation plays out. Because, you know, the coming of the Son of Man is likened to the days of Noah. Are we then going backwards on the timeline in terms of things that are happening um, at leading back up to, you know, back to the Garden of Eden? And uh, so that was just a thought that kind of boiled out of this. And uh, with that said, uh, I threw a lot of things out there, but um, those are some of the things that really stood out to me. And um, anyways, I'll pass it back to you guys. Yeah, fascinating stuff. I mean, th just off the top of my head, the one thing that I would say that the the other texts certainly seem to not not seem to actually do really confirm is that yeah, Cain didn't kill him by accident. <laughs> he took a rock to his head and uh, you know was was very intent on on killing him. But uh, I mean, that is a a fascinating story actually in, in the um, uh, book of Adam and Eve it goes into a lot of detail and I took I lifted the um, themes of what happened during all of that in as recorded in the book of Adam and Eve and put that into one of the teasers for seed I think it's uh, maybe episode three or four starts off with uh, with sort of a recreation of of that narrative from taken from the book of Adam and Eve but um, yeah I do remember that that, that was uh, the earth spitting out the body. Yeah, every time he kept tra trying to so bury him. Interesting. Cr crazy cool stuff. All right, Juan Carlos, man, I know you've got lots to share. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on this week's uh, Torah portion, half Torah portion, New Testament portion, all, all the above? Yeah, you know, the, before I uh, to, to, to share some points uh, complementary to what uh, Jake mentioned. Sure. Just to share some words to you, Rob, you know, uh, I was uh, watching the the first part the, the, with your presentation it was an amazing presentation. I saw some some comments from Kevin. I think in the in the chat, Thank you. and they say it's a good uh, summary of all the work that you have been doing through through the years. And uh, and you know you mentioned something that uh, did echo within myself uh, in, in the way that you're treating the topic of the cosmology of the year now. I think uh, it's it's not it's not uh, something that we need to prove people about the shape of the year now. It's just to tell people what is this book about and uh, and actually uh, one thing that you mentioned even after the video is that uh, and, and and i want to mention the word of mashiach when he was praying in the book of john Yahuhan, in chapter 17 he said set them apart in your truth your word is truth mm -hmm. and the entire scripture this amazing book is the the word of Yahuwah. this is the truth and this is definitely teaching us uh, cosmology how 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 he created this amazing earth so 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 if we want to understand this book we need to trust in this entire book from the from the beginning to the end mm -hmm. so 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 i really really like it in the way you you mentioned it uh, uh, at the end Rob. And, and you know i have been following your your work for 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 many years uh, and you know actually i i came to your work uh, to 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 connect with your work uh, about the the full thing about the nephilims mm. and the chapter six of uh, Bereshit, that this is an important topic and maybe we can discuss a bit about that 
Yeah. And I was uh, going along with you with this uh, whole journey about the, the cosmology according to the scripture. And you know, there's no doubt. And this, this, this book is teaching us a cosmology in the way that he created, Yahuwah created the earth. And we need to understand it in that way, in that way, and we need to believe it because this is the truth. Amen. So, so just cheers for you, Rob. Keep the good work. Uh, I know it's not easy, <laughs> but uh, sometimes we are called to do some uh, difficult things, and we need to we need to stay stay up. Mm, thank you. So, so you know, few few things to to share to to what uh, what got my attention in this uh, in this. Uh, in this portion, uh, you know, we need to understand the foundation. Without understanding the foundation, uh, it's very difficult to move ahead and understand the full plan of salvation, the full plan of redemption, and why we are here on earth, and what is the full full story of the scripture. And you know, there are so multiple uh, verses in the scripture, especially in the words of the of the disciple Apostle John, that we need to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, it's very repetitive. In the beginning, and he's pointed out to Bereshit. That's the beginning. This is Genesis. So, so it's important to understand and to build that foundation. And the, this portion is is very amazing. And unfortunately, you know, there are so many many topics in this uh, six uh, first chapter that will require the, uh, at least few days or, or weeks <laughs> to discuss all of them. <laughs> That's for so, sure. <laughs> so you know, you know. You know one thing. One thing that is important, and you know, uh, it was part of my journey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share these these things. You know, I, I usually uh, believe that the Yahuwah created uh, Adam and Eve uh, directly in the Garden of Eden, and it's not like that. If we, if we, if we read carefully the 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 story in in the Book of Genesis, uh, Adam was created outside the Garden of Eden, and uh, you know, after he created Adam. Yahuwah planted the Garden of Eden, and he brought the man you know, uh, to the inside the Garden of Eden in order to take care of this uh, this garden. So uh, why why am um, I pointed out this uh, this uh, this topic? Because uh, just understanding this that uh, Yahuwah took Adam for a special work, uh, we can understand that it was a certain covenant between Yahuwah and Adam. And you know, and why why this is important? Because if we if we connect with what is written in the book of uh, Hosea, Hosea in in Hebrew, in the chapter six, verse seven, it says the following. But like Adam, and he's talking about Israel, Ephraim, the the house of Judah and the house of Israel. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There there they act treacherously against me. So, so we see that the whole story that we see in, in Bereshit uh, and connected to this passage in the book of Hoshia, we see that there was a covenant between Yahuwah and Adam, and this is gonna be this this was the first covenant between Yahuwah and man. And and, 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 and that's the question we need to start looking and studying uh, all of us is that uh, what was the covenant about? And, and we know that the covenant of Yahuwah is eternal, and he was renewing the co the covenant that first he did with Adam. Then with Israel, and finally he's renewed through Yahushua Hamashiach. So, so those are important things just to understand the, why it's, it's, it's critical to understand the very beginning, just to understand the end of the story. Mm -hmm. um, other other topic that caught my attention, and, and I think uh, um, yeah, you mentioned about, is the the story about Cain and and and, and Hebel, and especially about the offerings. 
when we go and take a look directly on how this is written, and actually we go to the book of Jubilees, Jubilees and the book of uh, Yasher as uh, complementary information, we see that uh, uh, I was always wondering why Yahuwah didn't look into the offering of Cain, and he take a look and he was pleased with the offering of, of uh, Hebel. And if we read carefully how, how this is written, it's basically, it says that in the chapter 4, verse 3, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to Yahuwah. But uh, when we read what is written about Hebel, it said in the verse 4, also Hebel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So, so there was a difference in the offering. Hebel showed himself his heart to Yahuwah, taking the first of the fruit, in this case, the firstborn of the flock. And if we, if we see what Cain brought, and then also using the complementary book, we see that Cain just took anything. He didn't took the first fruit of the land. And, and this is uh, somehow connected to, to what we see in the, in the next portions of Torah when we see about the, the offerings, the first fruit of the land, the importance of the firstborn, that we need to take the most beautiful and the, the first of our, the, our work in order to offer to Yahuwah. So, so, so that's why it's, it's much easier to understand why uh, the offering of Cain wasn't uh, chosen by Yahuwah. And also, it's uh, teaching us how, how our heart is to be uh, to, to Yahuwah Elohim. So, so another, another thing, and you know, this is a critical and, and, and really, really important topic that will require us a set few weeks to, to study, is about the, the, the whole the story about the, the serpent and the woman, and especially talking about the seed of the woman. And, and there's so, you know, I have been waiting for this study to be prepared uh, for, for a while, <laughs> but uh, I will invite all of you guys to, to study this topic in details because the, the Hebrew word for the seed of the woman here is, is a feminine word. And if we study this together with the, with the Greek word, when we, when, we, when we check the story of Miriam and Yahushua HaMashiach, we also see a connection on the Greek word was also being used a feminine uh, figure on that word. So, so the, the full scripture is telling us that the seed is coming from man, not from woman. So, so the only fact that the, is, is saying that the woman will have a seed is a complete foreshadow about what will happen with Miriam and Yahushua. Uh, and, and, and why was needed this uh, helper, this woman as a helper for the man, in order to, uh, in, in order to remove sin from humanity. I know that maybe it's a little bit confusing what I'm saying, but that's why I'm inviting everybody to study in more details about the seed of the woman and how this is related to why was needed a woman, in this case Miriam, in order to bring forth the seed, the special seed that is Yahushua HaMashiach, in order to take out the sin of the world. Um, another another topic that uh, caught my, my, my attention is that about um, sin. You know, when we see the, the, the whole story about uh, Eve and the serpent, and also in the story of uh, Cain and Hebel, it's about how sin works. And this is uh, fully uh, uh, backed up by the words of uh, James in his book. This is Yaakov. But what I'm talking about, uh, if we see the story of in the chapter 3 of Bereshit, when he has the, she has this dialogue with the serpent, and uh, it says in the chapter 3, verse 6, 
And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, and she took off its fruit and ate. So, so what happened? Everything started with our senses. She looked into the fruit, she desired the fruit, and after that, she ate the fruit. So, so everything is going through our, in this case, through our eyes, going to the heart, and is pushing us in order to commit sin. And uh, if we correlate this to what happened to Cain, in the in the verse uh, seven in chapter four, this is what Yahuwah said to Cain. He says, "It is not if you do good you are to be accepted, and if you do not do good towards the door is a sin. Is lying and towards you is his desire, and you must rule over him." So, so basically, sin is around us, and we if we let to 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 ourselves to go through our desires, our senses. Uh, having priority in our in ourselves, sin is there and he's going to trap us. And basically, what Yahuwah was telling Cain, you need to rule over sin. So, so what it means that we need to take care, and especially in our days that we are living, uh, our our emotions, our senses, our feelings are bombarded by, especially by the media, by the system of the world today. And we need we need to be so careful in in, in the way that we are to be in in, in on guard in order not to let the sin comes to, to our lives. And uh, just to connect to what I said regarding the words of uh, James, if we go to the book of uh, James, and this is in the, in the chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says the following, But each one is enticed when he is drawn away by his own desires and trapped. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has been accomplished, brings forth death. So it's exactly what we see going on in this story in Genesis. You know, everything going through our desires. When the desires go to our heart, we're going to be trapped by sin. And when we're going to trapped by sin, then after that is death. So so I think those those kind of things, are, it, it took, a, took a, the attention from my, myself, and I wanted to share with you guys. Also, to follow the voice of Yahuwah, you know what uh, what Yahuwah said to Adam: "You decided to follow the, the the voice of the woman instead of following my voice." And this is so important for all of us today. You know, we have been sharing in the previous broadcast that we need to follow the way of Yahuwah. We need to follow the voice of Yahuwah, especially in these days. That's the only way that we're going to be able to stay in the path, not going to the left, not going to the right, stay straight forward in order to get the 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 amazing promise of uh, getting the kingdom, getting into the kingdom of Yahuwah. And last and not the least, uh, guys, and, and this is also an invitation for, for everybody that is uh, with us today or watching this video after the broadcast. Uh, it's something that uh, for me has very, been very important uh, in the last few years and was a, a matter of a deep, uh, deep study from, from my side. It's about the calendar of Yahuwah. It's about the luminary system. It's about to understand what is a day. Uh, and, and and how how to how Yahuwah teaches uh, the counting and measuring the time, you know, what's the importance of the of the luminaries in the whole uh, system that Yahuwah has created in this cosmology that we were talking at the beginning. So you know, the, we can see directly in the chapter one, uh, in the in the first day of creation, that Yahuwah is teaching us what is a day what is night and and a day is quite clearly is the portion of light 
So, so, so that's why, and I think you mentioned also this at the, at the beginning of the broadcast, uh, Rob, it's also my take uh, and my understanding to, uh, as of now that day is starting at sunrise and is finishing at the, at the evening. And, and there are so multiple examples in the in the scripture that can can we can see and we can brought to the to the discussion, but uh, you know we we have limited time, and uh, so the invitation for for all of you that are with us today is just to study the topic. Uh, you know I have been sharing also some some materials on this, so so go also to to the channel check the check the videos, uh, but the the most important not to follow us as we all always uh, said is to follow the voice of Yahuwah, to study by yourself. The Ruach HaKodesh will lead you, and uh, you will get to the understanding little by little. So so that's what I had to, to, to share, guys. Fantastic. Well, uh, it'd be easy, like you said, to spend the entire day <laughs> going through these few chapters here. Uh, Jake, you were raising your hand. You said you, is, you want something else to share. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, uh, my green screen's falling off behind my head, and I'm trying to keep it up. <laughs> so, oh. oh, man. Oh, I, I, I saw you holding your, your hand up. I was like, what, are you raising your hand to speak or something here? <laughs> no, just holding my green screen. Just the holding, holding the wall up from falling on your head. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, we've, we've gone long enough here, I think. Um, there's certainly a ton of resources on the website, on the page, that you can go through and spend the rest of the day, the rest of the weekend, probably, if you want to. Um, do you guys have any resources that you would want to point people to uh, regarding any of the topics that we've discussed here today? Uh, yeah, just yes. uh, my favorite blue-letter Bible. Uh, go and look at the, the meanings of the words. You know, the whole law of first mentions is something people use often for studying the scriptures. I'm not sure exactly sure where that law of first mentions comes from, but it's an interesting concept, and uh, there's a lot of things that are mentioned for the first time. Uh, we kind of get the whole model of the family. We get all these different things in the scriptures, so use, uh, use that tool uh, to dig into the meaning of the language and stuff. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Juan Carlos, do yeah, you from, have uh, my side, resources? Yeah, yeah. From my side, just to invite uh, all of you guys to to go to my channel. I have my uh, multiple studies over there. And That's the basic what I have been studying so so in the last few years. My my channel is Light to the Nations. You can go directly in the chat. I you can click in my my name and go directly to to the channel. So so if you you are interested in what is my understanding about the calendar, what is a day. I have multiple resources that, there, and also there is a few, few, few study and long one is regarding the last days. Mm. And if you remember, uh, Rob, we we had I think it was a few years ago uh, a show together in your radio sh your radio show about the deception of the last days, mm. and and that that was something really interesting because it's connected to the cosmology of the earth and also it's connected to the nephilim, and uh, and the whole deception that is coming to, and. Everything is prepared, you know, for for the the full life of these of these days. So, so it's connected to to the timeline of the of the end time. So so again, just the, the invitation go to to my channel, Light to the Nations, and then you can you can go in more deeper details of what I what I share. All right, fantastic. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed today's study. Uh, certainly a lot to discuss, a lot to think about, a lot to consider. But you know, like we said, this is the start. This is everything starts here. This is the foundation of everything else that's going to happen. You know, um, and Paul said these things happen to them, i.e. the people in the Torah, to serve as examples for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. So, 
you know, it's Isaiah 4, 6, 10. God has declared the end from the beginning. So all of this stuff is critically important, in my opinion. If we want to understand, if we think we're in the end times, and I think many people do, if not most of us probably, uh, think we're either in them or rapidly approaching them, then in order to understand the end, we've got to go back to the beginning. And this is the ground zero, the very beginning of the beginning right here, this week's tour portion. Excited to jump into Genesis. A lot of, lot of fun going through Genesis. So uh, you guys going to be able to join us for next week? We'll be here. Yes. Cool. And I believe Kevin should be as well. Uh, he was quite busy with his Sukkot and so unable to join us over the last few weeks because of the uh, the various Moedim that he is Mikra'ing, <laughs> if that's an actual word. I don't know. All right. So uh, we'll see you back next week then. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.